wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full. Greetings and welcome to the We Read Books podcast. Hooray! Woo! <laughs> it's a podcast where we read books and then we talk about them for our own entertainment and hopefully for yours. Hopefully. Yay! If so, five stars, please. Thank you so much. That's right. <laughs> five stars. And Do you like it or not? Yeah. Yeah. Preferably, you know, you like it, but if not and you still want to give us five stars, rockin'. <laughs> not gonna tell you no. <laughs> but that is mad. And that's wit. And we're the, you know. We're the crew. We're the crew. <sighs> two man crew. Mm-hmm. Is that a song or a musical group? A two, the two man crew? If not, uh, <laughs> copyright TM, I don't know. <laughs> Patent. (laughs) Band name, call it. (laughs) We have some socials. We are at We Read Books Pod on Instagram and also on TikTok. So, pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Our email is We Read Books Pod 23 at Gmail. So, you can send us an email if you wish. We would like you to. I don't think we've gotten any yet, but. I don't think so. We get a lot of emails from TikTok, though. Thanks for the notifications, TikTok, but I'm going to need you to step aside so that our listeners can talk to us. That's right. (laughs) We don't need five emails a day from TikTok. It's just not needed. No. Um, We are talking about where the crowdads sing today. Yeah. I was actually pretty excited to talk about this one today. It's an interesting book, for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's written by Delia Owens, published on August 14th, 2018. Day of recording is August the 3rd, so... How do we keep doing this? <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's always, like, a correlated date that's, like, sort of close. I know. <laughs> like, last week, in recording time, last week, mm-hmm. we released our Harry Potter episode on the 30th, and then... July 31st is Harry's birthday right. in the novels, and subsequently it's J.K. Rowling's birthday. Oh, right. Well, mm-hmm. happy birthday all around. Yeah. Fictional, non-fictional, July 31st. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> I realized that whenever I, like, scheduled the episode, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. It's coming out on July 30th. Nice. Wild. Noise. <laughs> happy accidents, as right. Bob Ross would say. Yes. Oh, sweet Bob Ross. I love Bob Ross. He would have painted a scene from this book. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Had probably. he been into the swampy thing. Yeah. He could have done he could have done a good job. He could have he could have nailed it. He was more of a mountain fella. <laughs> yes. Being from the Pacific Northwest, but right. I think he was from the Pacific Northwest. I truly don't know. But I just find him to be delightful. <laughs> I I feel like he's from Oregon, but that could be wrong. He <laughs> 
He just seems like I he's would believe Warren. it. If you told me that, I'd go, yep. <laughs> he totally is. He's from somewhere. Right. He's from somewhere. <laughs> but uh, speaking of popular things, this book has sold, uh, as of April 2023, has sold 18 million copies and has been made into a feature film. Um, it also spent 150 weeks on the New, New York Times bestseller list. That's pretty impressive. Way to go, Delia. Those are some solid numbers. Heck yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she has to ever write a book again. I don't know. The money probably doesn't last that long, but uh, hopefully she's sitting pretty good. She's older. I think she's in her late 60s. That's right. And she's already had a pretty accomplished life up until this point. Right. She's a scientist. Mm-hmm. So. I think she, I think the back of my book has all kinds of like little discussion topics and mm-hmm. different things like that. And I feel like I saw somewhere that it said that she had co-authored some nonfiction books. Yeah. So whenever I was like getting this information, I pretty sure I read in some of her bio that she in the nineties had written some like scientific books. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. And as we discussed on Discovery of Witches, we like we like some science, you know, pushed yeah. into our fiction. Yeah, I like one. I like or mixed in, not pushed yeah. in, <laughs> mixed in. Yeah, the academia makes it. I don't know, interesting, yeah. especially because, I mean, she was a scientist, so I am assuming that all of the science stuff that's in there is probably like facts. At least I would assume it would be semi-accurate, yeah. if not thoroughly researched. Yeah. You'd hope. It's just, like, knowledge she just has. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you're learning a little something while you're reading your yeah. fiction. Because I'm probably not going to read nonfiction, let's be honest. No. <laughs> no. It's not that fun. It's not a never for me, but it also is not a I'm going to do it by choice. Right. On a whim. Yeah. It'll be like, I'm trying to learn something. Yeah. It has to be like a specific goal in my heart. Yes. In order to like actually read some nonfiction. I I couldn't couldn't tell you the last time I read nonfiction. Um, The last time I read nonfiction was a biography on Kurt Cobain, which I feel like doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love Kurt Cobain. And it's like... Biographies are nonfiction? Speculation on his murder. So, you know, his potential murder. Right. You know? What you shared with me about that, you swayed me. <laughs> mm. I have the book over there. Love and Death. See, I might be persuaded. It was, that's a pretty persuasive book. It's right there. Mm. I could read a nonfiction. Mm. It's within that's, reach. <laughs> yeah. So that's the last nonfiction I read. Yeah. And I think the what I read prior to that, I think I read a biography on Sylvia Plath mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. Hey, no shade to the nonfiction readers out there. Mm-hmm. It's just not our jam. Yeah. I actually heard someone, it might have been a YouTuber, talk about how she doesn't read fiction because it makes her fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I will say backwards when, for me. Yeah. I will say when I, when I read f- physical books, like if it's after a certain time, it will make me drowsy. And I hate it because I'm sitting there thinking... No, I want to be reading this. Mm -hmm. Brain, wake up. And it's not that I'm bored. I just... Do words lull my brain to sleep? I have no idea. Yeah. I I think it really depends. Because there are some times when 
I can literally just read into the wee hours. Mm-hmm. And other times I'm just not not really interested in just not finishing. And I'm just like, you know, I'd rather be asleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was a good one. It uh, I, I didn't find any moments where I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Never oh, yeah. got bored. Yeah. I think uh, the structure of the book kept it interesting. Mm-hmm. And... It's the setting was interesting, especially it's very different from like mm-hmm. where we are, right? So, which is sometimes I don't always go for a contemporary fiction like this one because it feels like I'm just reading a story about like the real world I live in, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it's not what I gravitate towards generally, right. But this, it felt like a, its own world. Yeah. Basically. I agree. Felt removed from my day to day. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't about a woman that like goes into an office and, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> Miss me with all of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so a short plot synopsis where the crowd ad sing is a coming of age story. About a young girl named Kaya Clark who was raised by the marshlands of the southeast in the 1950s when the town Hotshot is found dead and inexplicably linked to Kaya, the marsh girl is the prime suspect in his murder. Dun dun dun. (sighs) Yeah. So this is like a coming of age slash thriller. Yeah. I love me a good thriller slash mystery. You do. (laughs) I like a thriller now and then. Yeah. It first, it dawned on me that even the Harry Potter books, they're mysteries. There's Mm -hmm. always something to kind of be discovered or solved by the end. Yeah. And there's always a little misdirection in there. Yes. Especially the early three. Yeah. The first three. Yeah. So as much as I love fantasy... It, it just proves to me more and more that what I really love is... Is a mystery. Is a mystery. You like some... I mean, I love fantasy, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, if that fantasy also then has some mystery. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, sign me up. I, uh, I like thrillers mis- and mysteries. I just have to find the right ones. Right. Because very often I can predict... The twist and mm-hmm. the ending from like the beginning and then it I'm just not like on the edge of my seat reading it. Right, right. So then it's kinda like, oh yeah, that was a yeah. Okay, okay I saw it coming. Yeah, yeah, you know. Sometimes the journey is just as exciting even if you kind of know the yeah, end. Or if I can predict the end but still something slightly happens that was not what I expected. It's satisfying enough for me. Yeah. Um, like the mystery of this one, I feel like you could kind of guess, but I still, right. I liked the bits of possible misdirection mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And then just like the little, little sparkle extra reveal too. It was just like, oh, okay. Okay. That was yeah. nice. That was satisfying. Yeah. If the, yeah, it felt like the way that it ends wasn't necessarily, like, a twist. Right. Because you kind of knew. Right. And it wasn't, she wasn't trying to, like, necessarily hide it, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, this one was, like, different. But, like, when yeah. I read The Silent Patient, mm-hmm. it wasn't immediate. It wasn't, like, when we read Verity where, like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, 
immediately I knew. Uh, she's fake. <laughs> that was so obvious. Even yeah. before the little weird things started yeah. happening, I was like, yeah. yeah, this I already know. But mm-hmm. the silent patient, it took me about maybe halfway through mm-hmm. to figure it out. So it took me a little longer. Nice. This is yeah. one I have not read. I will have to it's, look into this. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I like read it and it was right. enjoyable while I was reading it, but I wouldn't reread it. Gotcha. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. I also read one other, that guy wrote another book called The Maidens. Mm-hmm. The Silent Patient is better. Okay. Also so. good to know. All yeah. right. Anyway. Well, <laughs> uh, it, let's tell you about some of the characters in this book. Um, as we said, it's about a girl named Kaya. She's also known as the Marsh Girl. Gotta love a sweet nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, she has, mostly we see her brother Jody. She does have other siblings. Um, I know there's Mandy and Murph and one other, maybe? Another girl. There are two... But I can't remember her name. Yeah, she's got two sisters and two brothers. And I guess I could have looked it up before we started recording, but we never, never meet her, no. so... Eh. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Ma, which I can't remember her name either. Do we ever... I'm sure we learn her name. But anyway, there's Ma, and then there's Pa. His name is Jackson Clark. Then we have Tate, who is a friend of Kaya's and a friend of Jody's. Yeah. Um, we have Jumpin' and Mabel, who uh, Jumpin' owns the gas place plus, like, little yeah. service store. Yeah. And then his wife's name is Mabel. And then we have um, Chase Andrews. He's... Our, I mean, you're going to find out in about five minutes. He's our victim, m- our victim of the book. <laughs> and then we have Sheriff Ed and Deputy Joe. The investigators. Not fan of them. <laughs> They're, well, I, I had to keep reminding myself that this is, this murder happens in mm-hmm. 1969. Yeah. And I had to keep reminding myself, like, okay. This is 1969. Right. I can't be, like, evaluating their policing skills <laughs> That's through <true>. current lens. <laughs> That's true. Because at first I was like, what the fuck? These guys are dumb. <laughs> Why are they so dumb? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the time frame that it's set in also helps with, like you had said earlier, that kind of bubble. Removal. Like, feeling like, yeah. It yeah. being in a different time, a time that we did not live in. Yeah. Um, so it kind of added to that as mm-hmm. well. But uh, let's just dive right in and start with uh, the major plot points. Mm-hmm. So first, if you haven't read this book, it's written in two different timelines. So the beginning of each chapter, she tells you what year you're in. Mm-hmm. So... The prologue starts in 1969, which is the present. And then we jump back and forth between 1969 and basically the years of Kaya's life, starting in 1952, when she's six. And then eventually our timelines meet. meet, But Yes. Yeah. I, I liked it. I liked that it did that. I feel like it kind of kept things... 
interesting. It just kind of kept, and even some of the investigation chapters were short, but they just Mm -hmm. kind of kept like piquing your interest and reminding you to kind of keep your eye out for different things kind of thing. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I, I, yeah, the two timelines, the way that the chapters are, um, the order in which they occur, mm-hmm. like, you you know from the prologue that Chase Andrews has been found dead. Yes. And so it, all of the 1969 chapters are, like, them investigating, and so you already know kind of early on that Kaya has some link to Chase Andrews. Mm-hmm. And so when you go back and you're reading the, like... 50s, early 60s chapters, you're waiting for the link between her and Chase to, like, come up. So it's like, sets up your anticipation. Right. Because it's not immediate. Right. A lot happens before she ever really meets him. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And building the anticipation is, it's a really clever way to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. But, uh, so it starts off, um, as we said, in our present time, which is October 30th, 1969, when two boys find a body of a man, as we said, named Chase Andrews, in the swamp next to an abandoned fire tower. And Ooh. it doesn't really give us much more than that, just they find the body. Yeah, that's the prologue. And then we go back in time to the summer of 1952. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kaya is six years old at this time. Uh, she's, we we jump right to her life in the midst of quite the moment. She's watching her mm-hmm. mother walk away from their house, basically. And uh, they mention it quite a few times, her fake alligator skin shoes. Um, she has a suitcase in hand and uh, she's out of here. She's yeah. leaving, leaving their lives. Yeah, it's uh interesting that because Kaya when she's watching her walk away she it's like said that when Ma has to go to the store or whatever she leaves that direction and the only reason she knew that this time was different was obviously she had the alligator skin shoes on Mm -hmm. her suitcase but also she didn't turn at the end of the lane and wave right she just left right so Kaya like knew that she wasn't coming back even yeah. though Jody's like she'll be back, Kaya, pretty much she knew. Yeah, uh, you know Jody trying to be a good brother, older brother, you yeah. know, trying to kind of protect her feelings. I guess he's like, yeah. oh, she'll be back, and maybe he was in a little bit of denial himself. Yeah, because he's like seven years older than her, so he's thirteen. Yeah, that's pretty old. Yeah, I mean, relative uh, relative to being six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oof. He's seen a lot more go on in the household and experienced more than Kaya has. But not to say that Kaya is completely unaware, but yeah. yeah. So she kind of holds a little hope because of Jody telling her that. But pretty much, I think deep down, she knows she's not coming back. Yeah. Which is awful. (sighs) Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough way to start off. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A young child watching their mom just leave. Yeah. Okay. And we don't know why, you know. Yeah, at this point you don't really know why. Right. But you figure it out pretty quick, but Yeah. And you probably, I mean, on some level might just assume. Right. But 
Right. Yeah. But it doesn't take long after Ma leaves for Kaya's siblings to all kind of one by one just disappear and leave. Mm -hmm. There is a description of Kaya remembering the bruises on her mom's face the day she left and witnessing Pa abuse her siblings. So she kind of like, she never like faults them. No, yeah. For leaving. Right. You could say she's a little bit uh, mature for her age, which I would think witnessing those things would easily do to you. <laughs> yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Yeah. But, and Jody, he's the last one of her siblings to leave. So the mm-hmm. three oldest ones leave, and Jody's the last one. Yeah. He, like, gets hit by Pa, and yeah. he's kind of like, I can't, like, stay here. Right. I have to, gotta go. Right. Before he goes, he's more of a caretaker to Kaya than yeah. their dad. Yeah. For sure. And he tries to play with her to distract her from, you know, how yeah. kind of hard things are in mm-hmm. their family. But yeah, eventually he just can't take it and he's he's getting out of there. Yep. And uh, before he leaves, he tells Kaya to hide from Pa and from the other people. Presumably these this is social workers who mm-hmm. would come looking for her. And she leaves, or Jody leaves, and then Pa gets most of Ma's things and just burns them in a big fire. Right, which is devastating to Kaya. Yeah. Because even though her Ma is gone, at least she kind of had things to remember her by, and mm-hmm. now she doesn't even have that. Yeah. I think she manages to save, like, a few small things, but... Yeah. But most of her stuff is just gone. Because there's at least one dress... Yes. ...that she keeps, or that she has, and she puts on later, or whatever. Oh, and it's sad, because when she's younger, she just notices kind of a stain, and then when she gets older, she realizes that stain must be, like, dripped blood Blood. from their dad hitting her, which is... Just awful. So sad. Oh, yeah. But so being the last one, she's kind of like the caretaker of the household just between her and her dad. And she tries to avoid him pretty much. Like Jody said, you know, she'll do things around the house and, and whatnot. But if, mm-hmm. if he's awake, she's trying to be out of sight, out of mind. But yeah. uh, Pa gets a disability payment. It's $1 per week. And um, she calls that Monday money. Um, and she uses it to get food and other supplies for the house. Um, she walks about four miles into Barkley Cove to the store, which mm-hmm. that store is full of people just gawking and judging. Yeah. this The town nearest the Barkley, the town Barkley Cove, everyone in it is, like, really prejudiced against the people who live in the marsh. Mm-hmm. And so they, like... They're, like, super uppity. Like, I don't know if they're living these big house lives or something, but they sure act like they do. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I don't think all of them are, because I think, like, the woman who um, runs the Five and Dime mm-hmm. store, she doesn't have any, like, a ton of money. I think yeah. she lives in a loft above the store or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's not really all that uppity, yeah. but... We don't learn a ton about the town other than just how the townspeople treat Kaya. Yeah. We learn more about the marshland than anything else. Yeah, she pretty much avoids town most of the time. Yeah. And we're not restricted strictly to Kaya's viewpoint. A couple times Mm -hmm. we'll get out of her viewpoint and hear conversations with other characters, but it's very rare. 
Yeah, yeah. Super weird. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Kaya turns seven in that story before we switch back to a yeah. quote-unquote present chapter. Yeah. So the next jump is back to 1969. So we go back to the scene, and the two boys who found Chase's body go and get the sheriff, Ed Jackson, and the town doctor, Vern Murphy. And they notice that there are no footprints in the area of the crime scene and think this is odd. But at this point, they're not sure if this is an accidental death or a murder. Murder. Yep. I think they're leaning one way. Just, I don't know if they're bored or what, but... <laughs> yeah. They push pretty hard. <laughs> they they. It doesn't take much to sway them. No, no, not at all. <laughs> And then, uh, so then we flash back to 1952, and a woman arrives at the shack. Her name is Mrs. Culpepper. She's a truant officer who's come to take Kaya to school. She kind of entices her with uh, telling her that the school serves chicken pie for lunch. And, you know, Kaya, who is pretty much surviving on grits. grits. I mean, because, you know, a dollar obviously now gets you... Nowhere. You can't even get a pack of gum. But back then, it could get you, like, grits and maybe, you know, a couple other things or something, just kind of depending. But she, you know, she's been eating grits that she's had to learn to cook herself. So a hot chicken pot pie. Come on. So, yeah. So she reluctantly decides to go to school. Um, And she does note that she wants to learn what comes after 29, which I, I thought was sad and also kind of cute. (laughs) Yeah. I want to (laughs) know. Yeah. Her thought processes at the beginning are very, like, childlike. Right. She's seven at this point, so obviously, but it just, the what comes after 29, really, it was like, that is a child. Yes. Yeah. Like, although she can understand emotional things a little bit beyond her age maturity, she still has some like childlikeness to her, which I think is good. It's not like they're she's writing a seven year old to be like a twenty seven year old woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's yeah. actually a child. But right, uh, of course, it's quite the traumatizing experience. You know, the teacher. I mean, the teacher is nice, but the other kids point out, you know, she's not wearing any shoes, and they're not very nice to her. And yeah, and the teacher asks her, you know, honey, can you spell? dog and front of the entire class like I would mess up in front of of people but she says G-O-D instead of D-O-G and uh, the kids make fun of her and she ends up just leaving and never going back yeah which if that's your first experience just getting completely ridiculed I don't know what would make you want to go back yeah yeah and there's no one in her life that's gonna make her or stand up for her, or, or teach yeah. her to persevere beyond that uncomfortable yeah. feeling. It's just sort of like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, that sucked, so I'm done yeah. over this. Got my chicken pie, Right. now I'm going home. <laughs> right. Thank you, no thank you. Yeah, that was really sad. I've always had, like, a serious reaction whenever I see, like, people getting made fun of. It's like yes. a, it's a real, true feeling that I have to this day mm-hmm. it, it, even on like television shows yeah. and movies and stuff especially matter. when an adult who is nearby or there's no adults nearby and no one like stands in and does anything mm-hmm. 
I get so fired up. I'm like, somebody do something. What on earth? Yeah. It's like a real reaction that makes me like afraid to actually have a child of my own mm-hmm. because if my child was getting made fun of mm-hmm. by another kid, I might challenge their parent to a physical fight. <laughs> Slap them with a glove. Like, I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> here. Your little asshole kid just made fun of my kid. So we're squaring up. Right. Get your fisticuffs going, bud. Right. Because this is for real skis. Right. And then I will emotionally <laughs> chop you in half. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, it would be so hard. Yeah. That would be like, that would probably be one of the harder aspects of being a parent, I think. Right. Knowing like the line where to in step check. in and when to help guide your child to stand up for themselves. And yeah. yeah, that would be so incredibly difficult. Yeah. Cause I mean, if your kid's little, like seven years old, the other kids around them are acting that way because their parents didn't teach them that that's not okay. Right. So you can't like chastise this child that's right. not yours. Right. Because if I saw someone else chastising my child, I would also be equally pissed. Right. <laughs> it's like when someone like gets onto your dog at the dog park. Bitch. <laughs> Don't. Uh uh-uh. uh. Right. That, that's my baby. Right. I always have a firm grasp on what my dogs are doing. Exactly. So you are unnecessarily interjecting. Right. I need you to step away. Right. Yeah, I would not take kindly to being on either side of this. No. But also, I wouldn't, I would teach my child, like, you don't make fun of someone. Right, right. So, in the event that I ever had one, they would not be making fun of their peers. No, and if they did get some wild hair and decided to act a fool, I will correct you. Yeah, you don't make fun of others. Right. Literally. I saw this really great video that just actually like illustrated it really well this mom was talking to her two daughters and she says okay look at this piece of paper it's smooth and clean she's like okay now say something mean to me and they're like you're stupid and she crumples a corner you're ugly and crumples another corner and they kind of go until the whole piece of paper is crumpled Mm -hmm. and then she goes okay now apologize or or whatever you know if i if i smooth out this paper even if you apologize is this paper back to the way that it was before? And it's like, no, that's what hurting other people does. Yeah. You can try to make it better, but it it can't ever be completely undone. Right. And I just thought that was such a cool illustration. That I is. wish I remembered the woman's Instagram. Yeah. I just thought that was such a perfect illustration. And yeah. poor Kaya, it just becomes this little crumpled piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. And it breaks my heart. I know. Poor girl. <sighs> So after the harrowing scene at school, Mm -hmm. we go back to 1969 with Sheriff Ed and Deputy Joe, and they're investigating Chase's death. So at this point, they're kind of grappling with murder, accident, murder, accident. Mm -hmm. And even though Chase was married, he was notorious for having affairs. So Ed and Joe speculate that he could have been killed by a jealous husband. Mm-hmm. And and Chase wasn't just like a, you know, kind of nobody in town. Like, he was well-known. Yeah. Wasn't he like a sports star? Yeah. They kept saying it over yeah. again. And, like, at this point, he's well into his 20s. Mm-hmm. So he's been out of the high school football mm-hmm. arena for mm-hmm. some time now. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I kept thinking to myself, like, he played high school football. Yeah. I, I know that this is, like, a different time, and, mm-hmm. like, now, once you're out of high school, like, high school shit just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I do think but, it's sort of a small-town mentality also. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just usually when you see small towns depicted, this is a stereotypical thing that they do. The football that star. The football star is always mm-hmm. the football star, no matter what he goes on to do or not do or, you know, does badly. He's yeah. always... Yeah. The star football player, you know, kind of thing. So Yeah, it's definitely a stereotype of, Mm -hmm. like, the small town, which I grew up in a really small town, went to a small high school, and football was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Still is a big deal Mm -hmm. in my hometown, but... The glory doesn't go beyond high school anymore. No. Whenever people graduate, like... Even even in that small, like, really tiny town, I think mm-hmm. some of the guys that I graduated with who now have kids, like, mm-hmm. coach their teams and stuff, mm-hmm. which is a totally different thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think of any of the guys that I graduated with as, like, oh, yeah, the football star. Right, right. <laughs> that right. seems so silly to even say. Right. But, yeah, but. They, they make a point to tell us that Chase is well-known, and then, yeah, you know, he's good-looking and... Yeah, gets around with the ladies, so. Could be a scorned lover, could be a, a husband. They're, they're, there's definitely a pool of possible suspects. Yeah, they're wildly so. speculating. Yes, and they get wilder. No evidence for their <laughs> speculation. Well, what if? Right. Sherlock Holmes <laughs> would be ashamed I mean, of their investigative ability. Yeah. This mockery going on. But we'll get back to that. (laughs) Ridiculousness. Yeah. So, yeah, they're like, okay, could have been a jealous husband. And then we jump back to 1952. Yeah. And uh, Paul leaves for a few days. Doesn't he like to gamble a little bit? Yeah. Sometimes he just kind of disappears, so... Kaya's on her own, per usual, and um, she ends up taking out her dad's boat for mm-hmm. the first time by herself. Yeah, this is the first time she's driving the boat. Right. She's been in the boat with family mm-hmm. before, but really, she's not allowed to be doing this, but she kind of just, you know, she's on her own, and I think yeah. she wants to kind of learn and maybe be able to impress her dad a little bit, yeah. but so she gets out in the boat, um, and then she runs into a boy named Tate Walker, who is actually an old friend of Jody's. So when uh, Kaya sees him, she recognizes him, but she kind of keeps going. But then Mm -hmm. eventually she gets lost in all the channels of the marshes. Luckily, she kind of finds him or he comes find her either way. Yeah. He helps her, you know, find her way back to her house. And yep. Little, not reignition, I don't know, ignition, whatever. A little bit of recognition for possible future friendship. Yeah. So. And this is after this scene where he leads her back to her own channel. This is whenever we get a little bit of perspective from Tate. Yes, yeah. We go. He goes back to help his dad. His dad's name is Scupper, and he's a fisherman. And so he's helping his dad. And then um, we learn that his sister and mother were killed in a car accident sometime before. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say exactly, like, how long yeah. ago it yeah. was, but... So we get a little bit of that yeah. for Tate. 
and I don't remember at what point he reveals it to her, to Kaya, but later he kind of talks more about mm-hmm. the accident and his feelings about it, like, as their friendship yeah. deepens. Yeah, I think it's it's several years after Yeah, this. yeah. Because, yeah, they're not friends. It's just sort right. of like, oh, that kid helped me. <laughs> yeah, they, she just, like, recognized him yeah. as, like, Jody's friend. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when Pa returns, Kaya asks him to take her fishing, and he agrees, and he starts to teach her to fish, and they catch some for food, and then it kind of sparks this nice bonding between them, and they have some good times there for at least a good short while mm-hmm. where, you know, he's drinking less, he's spending time with her, she's cooking for him. I mean, I think she always cooked for him, but kind of like, here's your food, bye. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're actually spending, like, some quality time, and yeah. and he's kinder to her, and she's just finally feeling, like, some connection with him. Yeah. Like, which is nice. Yeah, this is my dad, this is the only family I have left. Mm-hmm. And, and things are kind of good, you know, good I'm now. seeing a different side to him than the others yeah. got to see, so. Yeah. It's nice for a fleeting moment. Oh, very short moment. So, then we're jumping back to 1969 with Ed and Joe, and they get some lab reports back that say a big old bunch of nothing. <laughs> um, there's no evidence, or they refer to it as negative data, and they take this to... How they got here was infuriating. So no evidence equals. No evidence. So they take this to mean that someone murdered Chase and covered it up by wiping away or cleaning up the scene. The only the only way that there could be no evidence of a murder is that someone did the murder and then wiped the scene clean. Yeah. Because otherwise there would be That's just the wildest leap. Yeah. Now, I will say, of course, you would think that there would be, like, handprints of Chase climbing up to this thing. Because it's basically just, like, a ladder and then, like, a little landing. It's all made out of metal and it Mm -hmm. has little, um, I don't know. Grates. Grates. And the grates can be opened, you know, where the ladder is and also just at random points, which who designed this thing? I have no idea. And its purpose, I'm not 100% certain of because they call, what do they call it? A fireman? fire tower? Fire tower. You know, let us know. It's not something I Googled. But I mean, I I can see it in my head. I just don't know its function at this point and why it has all the opening grates. But so I can see where they're like, oh, well, there's no handprints going up the ladder. Surely someone wiped them away. But also they live in a marsh where it's wet, it's damp. Admittedly, it's like, yeah, like the footprints. It's like the tide comes and goes. Like Mm -hmm. that would easily wash that away. I can only imagine all the moisture in the air would also kind of corrupt any possible prints you would have. You know, I don't know. But yes, they leap from. (laughs) No evidence means there should be evidence. (laughs) Which is funny because now in like in an investigation, no evidence does not equal evidence. Mm-hmm. You can't make something out of nothing. Right. You can't prove something with nothing. Right. Like I kind of mentioned the Sherlock Holmes before. It's like they're making facts suit their theories rather mm-hmm. than making theories that match the facts. Yeah. They're <laughs> they're doing it incorrectly. Yeah. Which 
it, I think how a lot of old investigations were act like to be fair. Following your gut. Yeah, that gut instinct. Which, which I'm sure usually is good, but some people's guts are rotten. And has led to a number of wrongful convictions that are now being overturned. <laughs> and people are losing 20, 30 years of their lives in prison because mm-hmm. of investigations like this. Yeah. I mean, don't even get me started. <laughs> Not to say that this one doesn't have grounds for their suspicions. Yeah. In reality, but they have no proof of that. Yeah. So. A suspicion is a suspicion. Right. And, of course, they're hearing gossip and all of these other things at this point. This mm-hmm. is when they first start to hear the rumors that Chase had maybe had some involvement with Kaya and that woman who lives in the marsh. So they're already have a they already have a prejudice against her. Right. Anyway. But as we established, he's a popular dude. Everybody yeah. knows him. Like so Yeah. Why is it a str- oh, he talked to that girl? Oh, he knew that girl? Okay. He also, you said, was having relations with a couple other ladies as well. Yeah. Why are we not He's a total gossiping about these. Yeah. She's the easiest target, obviously. Yeah. They don't know. No one cares about her her reputation. Yeah, no one cares about her. No one understands her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, I understand this is a small town. There are rumors. Maybe you investigate a rumor a little bit. You look into all leads. But when you don't have evidence, you don't automatically jump to this is a crime. Right. And someone cleaned up a murder scene. Yeah. That's just a little too much right away. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) So after jumping to conclusions, we jump back to 1953. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Kaya is taking the boat to go get some gas with her paw. They go to, I keep forgetting, I don't, did they ever say the name of it? It's just, um, it's the wharf. The wharf. Jumpin's Wharf. Yeah, Jumpin's Wharf. So that's where we meet Jumpin for the first time. And Jumpin is not his name. He owns the place, but uh, he's called Jumpin because he apparently jumps up every time someone's boat comes in. He's very eager to help his customers. Very, Mm I don't know. He just seems like the sweetest character, and I love Jumpin a ton. Yeah, I think he's a really good character. I did... When I was researching for this episode, there is a little bit of controversy around his name Mm -hmm. because he is a black man and the name Jumpin' has ties back to mid-1800s minstrel shows. Mm -hmm. There was one character named Jumpin' Jim Crow, which is not good. Oh, it's so bad. Um, So the... The guy who did this minstrel show was a white guy who played in blackface this character named Jumpin' Jim Crow. And obviously Jim Crow, we all know that term, Mm -hmm. because post-Civil War, all of the segregation laws are referred to as Jim Crow laws. And I did not know that tie when reading it. But yeah, you would think someone who is well-researched in other things. This is a bad miss. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I 
think she was just trying to go for something memorable or something that like sticks mm-hmm. in your head or like gives his character some like levity or something, you know, to show that he's just like a, a go get nice guy. But yeah. that, yeah, yeah, that was that was a miss. But as a character, I really enjoy jumping. I like his his character. I like a lot. I actually would have loved to get to know him and Mabel both. Just a bit more, you know. I, I know they're side characters, mm-hmm. but you know, I know that he, we learn later. I think that they have kids of their own and stuff. I just would yeah. have liked to see just just a few more scenes of yeah. them where they're not talking about Kaya. Yeah, you know, and so, not just like on the wharf at his store. Yeah, yeah. I would I would have liked just a little bit more with them, but the scenes that we do get are mm-hmm. are great, and and I love jumping, jumping, and like I said earlier, Mabel is his wife. But mm-hmm. so we meet jumping. They go to get some gas and some supplies, and then after that, Pa takes Kai to eat dinner at the local restaurant. Most diners are pretty rude and point out that they are barefoot. You know, they're quote-unquote marsh people, and I mean, they don't dress fancy. They don't put on shoes. They're hanging out in the marsh and doing their thing, so they're not worried about... Looking a certain way. Right, right. So it's it's a bit of a spectacle for everyone else in town. But it it almost feels like they're the only ones, though. But I guess maybe they treat other people like that as well. But sometimes they treat it as if they're a singularity and the only people that are this way. I get the impression there are never any other Marsh people mentioned or Mm -hmm. referred to. But I do get the sense that there are other people that live in the marsh. Right. Like Kaya and her family live. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear or don't see any depictions of right. discrimination against them like they do Kaya and her yeah. family. And, and that, maybe it's just because that's not the scope of our story. Yeah, and that, that's, it, that's true. It could be. I don't know. But, yeah. Mm. But there's a little girl that Kaya talks to, and the mother grabs her and is like, don't talk to that dirty little girl, <laughs> which is awful. So awful. Especially because <laughs> she's a pastor's wife. I know. Listen, that's not how a pastor's wife should behave. She Absolutely should be sweet not. and kind and... Concerned? Yeah. she sees, like, a clearly young girl who doesn't have shoes. Right. Come on. Right. Like, how about be kind to her and just make sure she's okay rather than judging her and be like, get away from my daughter, you dirty, yeah. filthy little yeah. whatever. <laughs> I really took the, because Owens takes the time to let you know that this woman is the pastor's wife. Yeah. So I feel like this is a critique on maybe like the Southern Christian general population mm-hmm. like could these, be these are maybe like sunday christians mm-hmm. but they don't actually yeah. live their lives the high righteous and mighty that yeah yes. don't don't live out the love yeah that, that yeah. the bible talks about yeah the bible quoters who won't help a seven-year-old girl who has no shoes right yeah <laughs> a little hypocritical of you my lady terrible oof not a good look not a good look so they have their little dinner and then, yeah, I think ooh. they have. Chi- I think she has chicken pie. Does she? I don't, I don't remember. I don't but remember. She had a lot of food. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know if if 
Pa really notices the people being jerks or not. I can't he remember. Doesn't care. But at the same time, he's probably like, eh, whatever. Yeah. We're having dinner. Okay. Yeah. We're paying just like everyone else. Right. But then the next day, everything changes because we get a letter from Ma. Mm-hmm. Kaya, does she leave it out for him? Like, because I think she sees it first. Yeah. But she can't read. So right. she, you know, it's left out. Pa reads it and then immediately is furious. He burns the letter. Kaya is completely distraught. You know, she even, bless her heart, saves the ashes from the burned letter. Mm. It's so sad. It's so sad. And then after that, you know, Kaya doesn't, like I said, she doesn't know how to read. So she doesn't know what it says. He does not tell her. Uh, Pa kind of goes back to his old ways, drinking again, never takes her fishing again. I think, I don't know if it's, I don't think we hear it at this point, but yeah, it's like things are never the same. Yeah. And yeah, it's pretty awful and sad. Yeah. Just from, just from one reminder from his past, his wife who left him and Mm -hmm. he's willing to throw it all away. Yeah. This is what we call unstable. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Wildly unstable. Emotionally neglectful, emotionally abusive. Yes. Exactly. Now we're back in 1969. Ed and Joe go research. Research. They do another search. Right. <laughs> of the scene. But they still come up with nothing. No evidence. Listen, guys. There's not to be found. Right. It's not there. Stamp this an accident and move on with your life. You must be so bored. <laughs> so bored that you're just like, you know, let's go have a poke around out there again. Right. I know we didn't find anything, but yeah. That's fine being thorough, but then when you come up with nothing again and still you persist, yeah. Their guts must be telling them something, but I don't know if it's like I said, good guts or rotten guts, but whatever. They're 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 keeping at it though. Yeah. They're keeping yeah. at it, so yeah. <laughs> that's that's what's happening in the present. But we can go back to 1956. So we've had a bit of a time jump since the restaurant scene and the mm-hmm. letter receiving. So we're about three years later and Kaya's 10 now. Mm. So in these three years, it's kind of been like pause in and out. He's there for a couple days. He's gone for a few weeks mm-hmm. and then he comes back eventually. But when she's 10, he just never comes back again. Yeah. He's just gone for good. No... No note, no word, nothing. Nothing. Just gone. And so she's just alone. Mm -hmm. And now she doesn't have any money at all. Yeah. No Monday money, and she has no idea how she's going to get food or anything else she needs. So one, I don't know how many days go by that she, like, doesn't have supplies. I would imagine she gets to the end of her grits bag and then is like, okay, I gotta... I gotta figure this out. Right. So she wakes up one morning, like, really early, before the dawn, and goes to the beach and digs for mussels because she remembers that jumping will buy mussels. Mm -hmm. So she digs mussels and she takes them to jumping and she sells them to him. She has, like, two bags. And she sells them to him for gas and supplies basically 
And she's she lies from this point on until it's not needed anymore. But she said, you know, people are asking where her pa's at. And she's like, oh, he's yeah at home. Oh, he's off. Whatever, you know. So. He's around. Right. Somewhere. So yeah. there's, she's not going around saying like, I'm on my own. She's just picking herself up by her bootstraps. I mean, she's already kind of had to be resourceful anyway, but not this not support herself yeah. like this but but yeah she's still trying to live under the guise that she is not alone and mm-hmm. but it's pretty clear she's at least trying to get some extra money to yeah. help and jumping he's he's pretty astute he knows yes yeah yeah basically at this first time i think she buys grits and a candle yeah cuz they don't have electricity or uh-uh. running water right at that shack I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, because she was, her dad was always the one who bought the kerosene for mm-hmm. the lamps. Yeah. And so that's why she buys the candle, because yeah. she doesn't have enough for their yeah. oil or whatever. Yep. But yeah, she supports herself by digging mussels and then eventually starts smoking fish and selling it to jump in. But mm-hmm. I like that, and it might seem not harsh, but I mean, he tells her, you know, now. If someone gets here before you with muscles and I buy them from them, that's I won't. All. That's all. I'm, I'm not going to buy any more that day. So you got to be the first one here. You know, he's willing to help her, but he also is trying to teach her at the same time. Like, hey, I, I don't know. I just, I just like that he did that. It wasn't just like, oh, I'll lie to this little girl. And because I, even though they him and Mabel have this store, they have a family that they have to support as well. So. Yeah. I don't think they have the extra means to buy these muscles from her that they don't need. So, and yeah. I, I do believe he's trying to kind of like help teach her to like, hey, you know, I can't always give you money or I don't know, just trying to kind of help teach her how to support herself or like, you know, so, and that's when she switches from muscles to the, to the smoked fish. She's trying to figure out any way to be, you know, either first or different and, and get something for them. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. Mabel and jump in help her out in different ways but I just kind of like that he's trying to sort of teach her at the same time mm-hmm. but yeah the minute she leaves and I think it's sweet I think Mabel sneaks a piece of candy in her bag but yeah. like I'm pretty sure immediately after she leaves Mabel's like yeah I think that girl's dad's gone and Jumpin's yeah. like yeah I think I agree <laughs> yeah and at some point Mabel does like a collection and gets like boxes of clothes and shoes and yeah stuff for Kaya, which is crazy because the rest of the town, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not Pa's there, mm-hmm. they know. Yeah. They see her and notice her that she's probably wearing the same clothes and she doesn't have shoes mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And none of those churches or mm-hmm. anyone does anything right to help her. But Mabel and but Mabel's Mabel. church... <clears throat> They donate. They donate to her. Yeah. But jump in knowing that Kaya is her father's daughter, knows that she's proud. So they're pretty sure she's not going to just take handouts. Mm -hmm. So that's when it's like, okay, well, you know, you keep bringing me those fish, which. They don't love. They don't. No. I think they probably just throw it away. Probably. Or they, they try and like take it and put it into food at their own into stew or something at their own house or if people don't buy them but especially at the beginning they're not they're not great okay yeah (laughs) but 
to obviously help her. And these things are free donated anyway. So Mm -hmm. to kind of make her feel like she's earning it, they tell her, you bring the fish, we'll give you these things that people don't want anymore anyway. Or it's, Mm -hmm. it's not like you have to give us fish for these things. It was just, I think at first they kind of made it that way. So she didn't feel like she was just getting Getting handouts. But eventually she, I think is willing to take those things because she knows that she works hard and she knows she needs it yeah <laughs> so. yeah it's very whenever she gets the box of stuff mm-hmm. from people she's like thinking to herself that this is the best stuff she's ever had she's never had clothes that nice or she's that nice yeah yeah i just love that they care so much that like i said they're trying to instill wisdom in her but also just being so incredibly kind like mm-hmm. mabel and jumpin don't have to be the ones to help this girl but they are the ones they're the only ones (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they're just so sweet and i love their love for each other and like their interactions with each other like Mm -hmm. i i would have loved to see more like i said earlier i agree i like their characters a lot i I agree they're really good characters Mm -hmm. so we jump forward from here again to 1960 yeah i think things just kind of stay stay you know she does the muscle thing the fish thing gets random hand-me-downs when they're available yeah and then she's 14 (laughs) and then she's 14 which i uh and i said this like at the end whenever i put my like little rating at the bottom or whatever it was really hard for me to get over the idea that a 10 year old is living by themselves Mm -hmm. in a shack in in the woods uh, and actually, like, not starving to death. Right. I will say she did kind of have to start fending for herself or, like, learning how to do things at a young age. Like, I kind of thought of it as sort of like a Matilda thing. Like, no one took care of her, so she kind of had to teach herself to, like, cook and stuff. But there's yeah. actually a thing in the back of the book where the author sort of addresses that. With, like, a, someone asked her a question. And I saw on the synopsis that you... Or not the synopsis, the outline, I saw that you had written that. And so when I saw this, I thought it was interesting. Um, the author says, I was careful to write her survival in a realistic and believable way. To me, the story had to be feasible. I purposely kept Pa around until Kaya was 10, an age at which she was capable of gathering food and firewood, cooking and boating in the marsh and sea. And of course, by then she could run or hide from anyone. So by the time she was truly alone, it was quite possible for her to survive on her own abilities. Basically, like she she believed that a 10 year old. Yeah. Which <laughs> she felt that was believable. But I, I see where yeah. you feel that it's not. I 100 percent do not believe that a 10 year old would survive on their own. Yeah. Not just like. I mean, if you've grown up hunting and fishing and gathering in that sort of quote-unquote primitive way, mm-hmm. maybe you could practically feed yourself yeah. potentially. Yeah. But I just think that a 10-year-old is a little child yeah. still. Yeah. And not having, like being alone right. in a house Right. For years. Yeah. Hygiene doesn't know, could could possibly not know hygiene, how to care for yeah. wounds, you can all get manner of things. So I, I can see that. I mean. Oh, gosh. Yeah. If she got you know, a cold. It, it just, it's just not, it has no realm of plausibility in my brain. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, 
you just have to suspend your disbelief to get through the rest of the story. Yeah. If Pa had left when she was 15, mm-hmm. okay. I could accept that. I think yeah. at 15, you could live by yourself. People yeah. actually have to do that. Yeah. In cities, no mm-hmm. less, which is probably harder, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But just, uh, just not buying it. Especially, like, there's nothing that's going to happen. No natural elements that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kind of had to tell myself that, like, yeah. Mabel would find creative ways to, I don't know, help her along or something. Yeah. Like, if she noticed something that was like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't something that, I you know, whenever you read enough fantasy and yeah. you just have to tell, tell yourself, it's magic. Right. That's kind of the mentality. I was just like, right. I have to... I mean, this I guess is in the like, story I'm in, so. Right, because, like, in every book, it's sort of like, I mean, nobody ever gets sick, nobody ever, you know, it's like, so that, not nobody ever, but it, in certain stories, like, characters just live, yeah, you know, and sometimes yeah. we just have to assume they, even in the worst of circumstances, had decent luck and yeah. just happened to survive. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's essentially where my mind had to go. Yeah. And... When you're used to reading books just in general, you don't have to have everything be completely plausible in order yeah. to get through the story. Yeah. Uh, it was just something that I was like, yeah, I'm not really buying this. Right. For reality. Gotcha. But in the story, I mean, it's it, it was the writer's choice. This right. This is where she wanted it to go. Right. So this is where we're going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now we're, it's 1960. Mm. Kaya is 14, and while she's fishing, she sees a boy in a boat. She hides, but later she finds a feather, the eyebrow of a great blue heron, mm. sticking out of a stump. So, And then the next day, she finds a white tail feather from a rare tropical bird in the stump. And the next, a turkey feather. So someone's leaving her little gifts. Little feathers. I think before this, she has a love and a respect for the nature around her. Mm-hmm. But I think this really sparks something in her, and she starts saving and collecting mm-hmm. and and all that stuff. But so someone's reaching out to her. Yeah. One night after, like this is just in the same like section as the feather finding. She's in her house, and a group of teenage boys come to her door. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, really scared. And she hides. But they don't come inside. They're just doing kind of, like, an, ooh, I touched the marsh girl's house kind yeah. of thing. I remember reading, there was, like, a part where she said, like, if they shook the door hard enough, they could... Get in. Get in if they wanted to. Right. Because we didn't say before, but she sleeps on a mattress that's on, like a enclosed front porch Mm -hmm. so she's not even like deep into the house she is Mm -hmm. right there yeah does it ever tell us how many rooms are in the shack Mm, i'm sure at some point it does but i would imagine that it's two it gotta be i just assumed two yeah Uh, you know some siblings had to have been you know sharing the room and then also the living room and then yeah mattress on the porch yeah yeah and then the parents obviously and they had a room, yeah. but I would say two at most, probably. It's a it's small, I believe. But yeah. these kids, 
come up on a dare and kind of yeah. touch the door or yeah. whatever and running away saying, you know, they survived the marsh girl, calling her the missing link, wolf girl, the girl who couldn't spell dog. Mm-hmm. That one made me wrong. I mean, they're all sad, but that one especially. Yeah. Oh, we're in 1969 again. Yep. Ed and Joe receive another report indicating that Chase died from a severed spine from the fall. So he fell out of the grate, hit his head, Mm -hmm. and his spine. Yeah. So the back of him is trashed. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And the report also included red wool fibers that were found on his jacket. So these are the only clues that exist because the essentially the autopsy showing his uh, cause of death is not a he clue fell. as to whether or not... I mean, that was expected injuries from a fall of that height. Right. Essentially. Just confirming, yep, he, that's how he died. He fell. Nothing yeah. happened to him other than the right. fall. Right. And then we find red fibers. Yeah. So, okay, the only foreign thing that they have found so far is red fibers. And right. now they have maybe evidence, but a fiber can get on you at any point. Like, I mean, I'm afraid the wind's going to blow my hair into a crime scene one day. I mean, I know. This is this is always a concern when you have like a lot of hair and it sheds off. Yeah. I'm leaving hairs all over the place. Like so many places just have my hair everywhere. Right. So, but now they actually have something semi-foreign. Yeah. Now they can look and see if this fiber belongs to Chase or... Someone. Someone. But I'm curious how many someone's wardrobes they check for this red fiber. I guarantee you it's one. Yeah. I don't think they investigate anyone else, actually. At least if they do, it's not told to us. Right. And I feel like that would be pertinent information. Right. Which I will note that when they were in the diner hearing rumors... One of them did say, let's leave. We don't want to be influenced by mm-hmm. town gossip. But right. I feel like it's already done. It's, in yeah. In their brains. Whether yeah. they're willing to admit it or not. I agree. That's, it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah. And we're going to jump back to 1960. Mm-hmm. And Kaya decides to leave a feather in the stump in return for the mysterious feather lever. And... She goes back to her shack. She's cleaning, and she gets she finds some Ma's old makeup. So she's looking in that. She gives herself a little haircut, like a trim. It's not like a right haircut. <laughs> right. She has really long hair, obviously. Um, she puts on lipstick. She finds a dried up bottle of nail polish, and this kind of triggers a memory she has of her mom and sisters. And her having, like, an outing. Yeah, a fun, good day. Fun, good day, yeah. With Which was a nice memory until yeah. it wasn't, you know. Yeah. The end of the story is a bit sad. I forget what turns it, but, you know, they're having a good time, and then Pa comes home. Yeah. In a pissy mood and just yeah. kind of jacks it all up. Yeah. Per usual. As per usual. Um. It is interesting how... Because I think there's a couple times where, like, different memories Mm -hmm. kind of spring to her mind as she's doing things. Which is a nice way to kind of give us more backstory. Yeah. Yeah. And it still shows that even, you know, at this point, she's 14. They've been gone for eight years. 
and Pa's been gone for four. Yeah. But, I mean, really, he was so wishy-washy in and out for the preceding years, too. So it's it's a wonder she has any real connection to her life yeah. prior. I mean, yeah. because if you think about being six years old, what do you really, like, remember vividly about your life? Right. Maybe at 14 you can still kind of remember things, but I, I, I do like that it's it's more realistic that it's triggered by something rather yes. than just something she can recall easily. Yeah. But yeah, at, sure. at 35, yeah. memories from when I was six. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the only quote-unquote... I mean, I'm I'm sure there are some memories in there, but some of them are probably helped along from, like, family videos that I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Yeah, once you put enough distance between yourself and any given memory, really, at that point, you have to wonder, am I remembering this because I remember it, or am I remembering this because I have photos of it and other people to talk about about this with right am i remembering the event or am i remembering remembering right right and kaya doesn't have pictures and things right. to go off of you know she so she really does kind of get these flashes of memories from yeah little things like this like the, the, the nail, nail polish, polish and, and yeah. whatnot so the next day after she's done after she has the house cleaning and the lipstick she uh finds a night heron feather in the stump and next to it is a milk carton with some vegetable seeds a spare spark plug for her boat and a note that she can't read yeah so she leaves a tundra swan tail feather in return and the following day tate is waiting for her he approaches her carefully and offers to teach her how to read. I think that's very sweet. He's clearly noticed her mm-hmm. and watched her from afar, so. Yeah. I like that he approaches her carefully. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, once he realizes that she can't read, it's like, hey, okay, I'll, why don't I teach you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And another, like, little scene that happens in this group of events is Kaya is walking to jump into Mabel's. She's made them some raspberry jam and it's really is a thank you yeah. for them like being kind to her and helping her. And she sees two boys throwing rocks at Jumpin. So she hits one of them with her bag and the other one just runs away. Yeah. This Little is like sissies. A really sad scene. It is a sad scene. I mean, obviously, this is 1960, so, and then we're in the South. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the racial segregation and discrimination is rampant. Yes. So, and jumping, I mean, he has no choice. He just keeps walking. He yeah, can't. He just keeps walking. He can't do or say anything. Yeah, it would be the repercussions for him in that scenario yeah. where he to try to defend himself would be so much worse. Yes, but I, I do like that Kaya is outraged yeah. by that behavior, and it's like, okay, jumping is out of sight now. Here come these turds. I'ma thwap them. Yeah. <laughs> it's I. I just always, it's so, the discomfort that you feel reading, like, a scene like this, it's really intense. Mm -hmm. And I wrote my uh, master's thesis on slave narratives, so I've spent, I spent a lot of time, like, reading a lot of, like, literature from slave times and for enslaved people who were, who got themselves out into the free north. It's very harrowing mm-hmm. to read those stories. 
Uh, highly recommend, obviously. I feel like if you live in America, you should probably read them. Yeah. It's part of the history that you don't learn in high school, really. I mean, you're not really reading slave narratives in high school, which yeah. sucks because as uncomfortable as it is to read, that, thing, that, that shit happened. Right. So, uh... The more you know about bad things that happen, then the less likely you are doomed to repeat them. You can, yeah. You can learn from the mistakes of our past to yeah. be better for the future. Yeah. And reading, like, the actual accounts of people like, uh, like Frederick Douglass, he was, he was one of the slave narratives that I based my research on. And, like, William Wells Brown, he wrote several novels but also a slave narrative and they're like these are people who lived through it so it's just you're getting much more of the true story reading Mm -hmm. obviously a first-hand account of that kind of what they had to go through yeah but it's it's discomfort yeah maximum yeah yeah i i think there are several scenes in this book that are purposefully uncomfortable but don't push the envelope to a grotesque uncomfortability or description. Yeah. But I I think they are strategically placed Mm -hmm. to really drive home the lives that these people live. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. None of it was gratuitous, which is good because then that would just, that's just yeah. Not, this isn't the place for that sort yeah. of story. Yeah. And when I say these people, I mean the people that live in this community, yeah, whether the, it be Kaya or Jumpin' or or what, whoever, whoever is telling yeah. kind of an uncomfortable moment in the book, mostly Kaya. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that although uncomfortable, they're done in a well-written way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad she didn't feel the need to write any further description. Yeah. Like, we we know that pre-Civil Rights Act was not a good time for people mm-hmm. who were not white. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody should know that, and mm-hmm. it doesn't... She didn't need any more than what's in here to kind of let you in on where we are, especially in the South. Yeah. So I think some writers might go a little too far in trying to get that message across, but Mm. I don't think it's necessary, Mm. especially because it doesn't always feel the most comfortable coming Mm. from someone who's not in that community as well. Right. So I think she treated it with respect and care. Right. Agreed. In this moment, for sure. And later, other scenes. Yes. So. Yes. So after that, we cut to the time period where Tate is teaching Kaya the alphabet, and he brings her a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold for her to read and just, I don't know. Yeah. It kind of. For her to read. Yeah. It's like (laughs) for practice. Yeah. For practice. Thank you. That was a try. I was like. (laughs) I couldn't find for practice. (laughs) Um, But the book teaches her to read, but also teaches her many things about the natural world, especially the one that she is living in. And so at night, during the day, Tate is teaching her the alphabet and how to read. And at night, she practices by reading this book. Yeah. We also get a scene between Jumpin' and Kaya 
one day while she's at the wharf um, getting gas, and he warns her that there are men from social services looking for her, likely to put her in foster care. So obviously she dodges them and starts spending time in this like rundown, dilapidated cabin deep in the marsh. She does take Tate there at one mm-hmm. point, and they start calling it the reading cabin. Because they pretty much spend the whole summer there at that Yeah. Point. Made out the whole summer, but pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Tate starts his senior year of high school, um, and then he starts bringing Kaya discarded textbooks so she can learn math, biology, poetry, just basically anything. He just brings her mm-hmm. whatever. He doesn't yeah. a- assume she will like or dislike any subject. He's just yeah. like, hey, here's some more textbooks. Yeah. Learn a new thing. <laughs> Yeah, essentially, it's, like, the the basic subjects that he's learning yeah. through high school. He's yeah. just like, you, you need to learn this, you need to learn this. Right. So, so he learns it, and then he teaches, teaches it to her. her. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we get a scene with, where Mabel meets her at the wharf, gives her a dress, and also her first bra. Because, as we said, she's a teenager, she's, so... Yeah, she's she 14. developing. Yeah. So, um... We're getting a few cues now about Kaya actually, like, not being a child anymore. Right. Hitting puberty. Hitting puberty. So not too long after Mabel gives her the bra, which she's pretty discreet about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. It's not made a big deal of. It's just in there with the dress. Right. And Kaya just obviously knows what, to, what this is. <laughs> yeah. But then we get this scene... Where Tate finds Kaya sitting on the beach, and she's clutching her stomach, and she has n- doesn't understand what's going. She thinks she's sick, yeah, because she's having like cramps. Uh, but Tate kind of knows, mm-hmm. and he tells her like, "This is her period." Mm-hmm. And then the next day, she goes to get Mabel, and Mabel like explains the details and what to do and all of that. Right. So, this was a weird scene to read. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, this is one of those scenes that I was talking about that's another one that's kind of uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. I think it had a purpose. I think it being slightly uncomfortable just drove home how uncomfortable that can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It Even in normal circumstances, it can be uncomfortable, but it's even more uncomfortable being a young woman being taught about it by... A boy. A boy your age. Yeah, I... And that was one of the things, like, that caught me whenever I was... Whenever I was got to this part. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I understand what's going on right here. I know that someone has to tell her mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. But a part of me was just like, I don't love that it was a boy who tells her. Yeah. I don't love it. Yeah. But there's no one else around. Tate's the only person there. And, of course, she goes to get Mabel. But if Tate hadn't have been there and she gets her period and then notices blood, what is she going to think? Is she going to think she's literally dying? (laughs) I would. (laughs) I mean, those symptoms, if you are not aware of what's going on, you would be like, this is is not correct. This is unnatural. Right. Is what you think. Death has come from me. This is a weird way to go out, but I guess it's happening. So, 
I don't know that you can get around him telling her, but yeah. I still didn't love it. Yeah. I I just kind of took it as it, it it's sort of a way to emphasize the uncomfortableness of that stage. It just make yeah. it just made it that much more Yeah. It's uncomfy. <laughs> But it does kind of, this is um, obviously all of the interaction with Tate before this. You can see that he's thoughtful and kind. Yeah. And he's a few years older than her. I don't know that we said that. Yeah. But he's, he's a like, handful of years older yeah, than like her. Yeah, like four years. So yeah. He, like we said, you know, he approaches her gently when he talk, first talks her. And so mm-hmm. he, he is very much watching and reading her as a person. Yeah. Through yeah. all of their interactions. So... And he is, like, as respectful as possible at this point. Like, he's trying to make sure that she knows what's going on so she's not freaked out. But he's not being weird about it. Yeah. It never says that they have a brother-sister relationship, which I'm glad for. But he is very much, like... Sort of caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Like, she takes care of herself, but in the things that she cannot... Yeah. Do slash teach herself. He fills that role. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think what is interesting or also kind of sweet is that when you think of like a girl going through puberty, getting your first bra, getting your period, that's something Mm -hmm. you do with your mom. Right. And Mabel is the one that helps her through those stages. Yeah. So Mabel really is like her maternal figure absolutely for like most mostly all of her life yeah essentially. absolutely so oh mabel oh mabel so sweet eventually after that kaya invites tate inside her shack and that's where he really gets to see her collection of nature mm-hmm. through all the reading she's done and the collecting that the, the feathers and everything sort of sparked she's got this whole collection of rocks and feathers and shells shells and and all that stuff and he's super impressed by all of it and uh, later while catching some leaves Tate kisses Kaya and they decide that they're boyfriend girlfriend that's very precious it is precious it's sort of like the kiss happens and then is is she like so we're boyfriend girlfriend now yeah yeah I guess I'm your girlfriend now huh right guess so what kind of books did you give her tate <laughs> yeah. that's a uh, it's a very kissing equals innocent. boyfriend girlfriend yeah. <laughs> it's very innocent it is and precious it is it's very sweet so we're still in 1960 and kate kate that's their <laughs> their relationship name is kate yeah there you go <laughs> tate and kaya so tate tries to make kaya's 15th birthday really special and so he takes her on his boat to the secluded bay. He gets her a store-bought cake, which she's never had before, and gives her presents, which I don't think she's ever had birthday presents. Maybe... Likely not. Maybe before when her mom was still there, but yeah. probably not anything like... Because no, even when her mom was there, they, they I mean, they yeah. all, they were still struggling. Yeah. Life was not easy for them, even when right. she had both parents. They, yeah. Still had very minimal money, and their mom found creative ways Mm -hmm. to do things. Yeah. So. So he gives her presents. I think he gives her, like, a magnifying glass and a few other things, maybe some paints or something for this birthday. 
so he like tries to make it really special for her. Yeah, which is um, very sweet. Which is very sweet. And later we get another scene with Tate and his dad. And his dad, they're at the restaurant, they're eating dinner, and Tate's dad's basically like, hey, don't get this girl pregnant. Right. <laughs> I, I know you're hanging out with this girl. I'm going to need you to be smart about it. Yeah. You're about to graduate high school. You're going to college. Yeah. Don't. Don't. Get this girl pregnant. Get this girl pregnant. He does tell him, like, I'm really proud of you. You know what you want. You're going yeah. to college, blah, blah, blah. And he's going to Chapel Hill, which is very... A very good college. Mm-hmm. So. Scupper is a good man. I really like Scupper. He is. He is. He, I mean, he, just like anyone, you know, maybe has some, I wouldn't even say prejudices, but he has some things in his mind, just like everyone else mm-hmm. in the town. He makes making But he's not super judgy, like, right. you know, hey, you need to stay away from that girl. He's just like, hey, be careful. Yeah. And, I mean, he probably would say the same thing. No matter who Tate is right. dating, if he's dating anyone, right. but there are like somehow stories about Kaya, assumptions about her that she's promiscuous, even though she's literally not at all. Right. But and and Tate essentially tells his dad that he's like that is not even close to accurate. None of those rumors right. are true. Kaya isn't like that. I'm teaching her to read. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So. Right. Because they have not slept together. They kiss. No. That's they, it. Yeah. They have kissed innocently. Yeah. Right. But uh, I did want to say uh, Skip Scupper. Skipper. Scupper. <laughs> Scupper. Scupper has these cool, I think, kind of cool, like, three things that he defines are characteristics of a man, mm-hmm. which are he cries freely. He feels poetry and opera in his heart and he does whatever it takes to defend a woman i think that those are very yeah like wholesome sweet very wholesome ideas of what a man is which again i think shows that he has some different thought processes than the rest of the people in that town not all of them obviously but the the general the general mind that you hear from that town yeah because the rest of the town pretty much holds up, like, Chase Andrews as the epitome of a man, basically. Right. Football star, Football, womanizing. Womanizer, yeah. Blah, rich. Blah. Yeah. From a rich family. Yeah. So I, I just, that that little bit just kind of endeared me to Skipper. Yeah. I was like, he's really, he's really precious. He's cool. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. Yeah. Aw. Okay. So now we're at Christmas 1960. And Tate, like, spends Christmas with his dad and does, like, family stuff. But he makes sure that he gives Kaya a Christmas gift. And it's a dictionary with, like, natural things in the pages. Collected things. Collected things. Yeah, in the pages. And uh, she is upset that she doesn't have anything to give him. Mm -hmm. But later she gives him some cardinal feathers. Yeah. Which is really sweet. Yes. I didn't think about it until this moment, but I don't know that Tate does or doesn't invite her to spend Christmas with his family, but I also don't know that Kaya would have would have wanted that or yeah. gone at this juncture. Right. But because yeah. later, you know, there's someone else in her life that she's like, why can't I meet your family? But the, why can't I meet your family? But it, yeah. it, it's not really a thing with Tate, at least not at this 
point. Yeah, I, I think she's just enjoying having someone she can trust. I don't mm-hmm. think she's really thinking about a future or getting out and bonding with other people. I think she just, she's happy with yeah having Tate as a companion right now. Right. Yeah. I don't think it ever comes up at this right. point. I don't, uh, but, and I don't think he would have refused if she had asked. I just no. think he yeah. figures she's not interested. But then we jump from Christmas to spring and they are exploring and end up kind of getting a little flirty and then a little physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but they stop short of anything actually happening. Um, and Tate tells her how he really feels about her, that he loves her mm-hmm. and cares about her. So, yeah. And again, I- a, a nice scene. It's, it's, it, it almost goes to a next level, but then he sort of stops himself and is like, hey, use your brain. Yeah. She's younger than you. By a, and four years of age difference is not that much, except when one of you is 19 and one of you is 15. And one of you has been secluded and you're the only person that they know. Like, right. just, his it, brain was like, hey, we can't do this. Yeah. It felt icky. Yeah. Yeah, it, but I'm glad that he realized yeah. that and was like, ooh, yeah. we got to pump the brakes. Yeah, well, and he obviously is a super, he really considerate person, right. and he clearly cares about Kaya and her well-being. Yeah. And I think probably at this point he also realizes he's about to graduate, he's about to go to college. Right. So it would be extra Right. wrong for him to sleep with her here and yeah. then, like, leave. Right. And it's a big juxtaposition from something that we see later where it's, like, he doesn't say, oh, I love you, and mm-hmm. then try to be physical with her. It's, like, he stops them from being physical mm-hmm. and is, like, because I love you, I'm right. going to stop this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like I said, a big swap from a, another is. character and how they they treat her so yeah he clearly he treats kaya with a lot of care which is why things that are about to transpire shocked and hurt me so deeply i know i know i don't want to get ahead of myself but mm. yep so at the the end of the year is coming up and tate tells kaya that he's going to college And he's leaving sooner than the end of summer because he's got a summer job Mm -hmm. at a lab. Mm -hmm. And he tells her, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back and I'll be back to visit on the 4th of July. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess summer's not ending. It's like the spring is ending. Mm -hmm. The school year's ending. Yes. And I guess he's going away to college early. Yeah. So he's like working for the summer in the lab. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Says he'll be back around 4th of July. mm Mm-hmm. So then we jump back to 1969, around a week after the body of Chase had been discovered. And this is when Ed and Joe hear the rumor that Chase had been having an affair with the woman in the marsh for nearly four years. Before it was just like, oh, I heard he, you know, associated with the marsh girl. But now it's like, oh, no. Now they're saying it's been an affair and it's been for four years. Yes. And Chase's mother, Patty Love has let them know that she needs to come by and tell them something about the shell necklace that Chase had always worn, and it was made for him by Kaya. What? Scoozy? (laughs) And again, like we said at this point, Chase and Kaya have not had any really interactions. Yeah. At this point. I think at one point earlier in the story, like, maybe she sees him, like, ride by on a bike. Yeah. 
yeah. and he's a little, I don't know that he's a turd, but he's not, you know. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, he's just a... He's just a little butthead kid. little yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. They mm-hmm. they have not interacted yet. So things are jumping back and forth. But then we yeah. go back to 1961. It's July 4th weekend. And Kaya is waiting for Tate. But he never comes. Yeah. Uh, she waits for him for a while, too. She waits for him that whole weekend. Yeah. But she- I think even a couple of weeks after as well she goes to the beach every day and waits for him i think she tries to give him the benefit of the doubt but i mean it doesn't take her super long to realize Mm -hmm. he's not coming yeah and i was so heartbroken and angry at this part of the book i was like are you absolutely flipping serious you are the one person who knows how deeply this is going to hurt her Mm -hmm. they've been close enough that he knows everything about her he knows that her family has abandoned her Mm -hmm. and he He does the chicken thing and yeah just doesn't talk to her and just doesn't come back yep i her heartbreak in that moment was so heart-wrenching yeah ugh I know. And it lasts for a really long time because it it says that it's a it's about a month or so that she doesn't go to town or go out into the marsh or anything. Yeah. She's just in her house. But yeah. even after she, you know, after that month and she starts going back out into the marsh and uh, resumes collecting her specimens and painting and stuff, she still doesn't engage with other people. Mm-mm. And I... It describes, like, jump in noticing her, the change in her. And this lasts for years that she's not super communicative when she, even when she goes in to, like, get her supplies and stuff. Yeah. Is it years? I think so. Because yeah. I think the next jump we make is four years mm. to 1965. And yeah. it's the day that she sees Chase. And when she goes to jump in's next, he notices, like, that she's different. She's more chipper and talkative. Yeah. That's four years. Yeah. Gosh. So. Oof. She, yeah. She, she does have a, a, a moment of realization where she was like, I'm not gonna waste my life away mm-hmm. like this over someone who's left me. Yeah. I'm done doing that. Yeah. And yep. then she kind of re-engages, reignites her uh, love of collecting and and doing her investigation thing in the marsh Mm -hmm. you know so yeah and with take on her supply of books has run out so she goes to the library gets a library card and starts like checking out books for Mm -hmm. herself and continuing to teach herself all this stuff all the stuff about the marsh the scientific names yeah all all the she just studies. Yeah. She starts use, doing college. Yeah. Uh, getting college textbooks from the library. Yeah. But it's still interesting because, like, later they'll say that there's not a lot of text about their specific area. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even the knowledge she's getting is, like, general yeah. marsh stuff. So the research that she's doing from her collecting still informs, like, her specific area. Yeah. Which is yeah. cool. So, yeah, so when she, after she realizes Tate's gone, then we jump to 1965, she's 19, and she's on 
Point Beach one day and sees a group of people. She obviously hides behind a tree and watches them. And one of these people is Chase Andrews. Mm. And he happens to be near her tree. He sees her and, like, makes eye contact with Mm -hmm. her. And he's young. He's handsome. And, of course, she develops a crush on him. She's like, hey. Hey. Hey, cute boy, looking back at me. <laughs> and he obviously notices her because right. she's also very pretty. The The book does say that she is just has a natural beauty. Yeah, she's striking. Yeah, as she matures, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and after they catch each other's gaze while she's at Jumpin's one day for supplies, Chase taps Kaya on the shoulder and invites her to a picnic. I kind of thought that was, like, super out of the blue. Like, mm-hmm. hey, they see each other, and then he's just like, hey, you want to have a picnic with me? Yeah. And she's like, sure. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just struck me as really strange. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know. It gave me the impression, in the fact that he saw her hiding behind the tree, mm-hmm. that maybe he had noticed her yeah. before and kind of knew that she is... Uh, like shy and a little skittish and alone and alone yeah and that she goes to jump in's wharf on a regular basis right so i guess it could have been a thought he had for a while but it just it just made me like what's your motive you know yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't know and i think that probably she also has that element of like intrigue and mystery yeah Yes. For Chase. She's the Marsh girl. Everyone has these stories about her. She has a legend behind her. So she's not only very striking, but she's also got a sort of mystique. Right. About her that he probably finds appealing. Intoxicating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they go on the picnic. They get in Chase's boat and they go kind of to a deserted beach. Don't go to a deserted beach with someone you don't know. I'm just please don't saying that right now. Um, they eat and he plays the harmonica and they find a rare scalloped shell and he gives it to her. Doesn't he pick it up or I, I think so? Yeah, yeah. He and picks he it up and he hands sure. it to her. He's like, you know, you like this sort of thing, don't you? Know? Yeah. So, and then Chase ends up kissing her and he gets a little pushy. Yeah. And so she pushes him and rolls away from him and then runs to her boat and leaves or yeah. runs through the forest. Either way, she... She gets out of there. There's no conversation. No. It's just like, nope, don't like that. Out of here. Yeah. And then a couple weeks go by and Chase finds her, apologizes to her and convinces her to go with him to the fire tower. You know, this is the first time Kaya has seen the marsh from this high up. So, you know, he's again showing her something new, new. and it's kind of this... A, a, a new appreciation, a new appreciation of the beauty of the marsh that she mm-hmm. already, ha, yeah, you know, is just expanding on yeah. on that. And um, she actually took that shell that they found and put it on a piece of like leather rope or whatever, and mm-hmm. she made it into a necklace. And she gives it to him, and Chase tells her that he wants to get to know her more just as a person, and that he won't make any more advances unless she wants him to. Yeah. So he's basically saying, you know, I want you, but I'll let you decide how that goes. Coming off like a real gentleman. Yeah. I'm trying really hard not 
to let certain feelings come through. I know. <laughs> too soon. I know. It's very hard. So we're back in 1969, and Patty Love is at the station talking to Ed and Joe and tells them about the necklace that Kaya gave it to Chase and he never took it off and that they were involved for a while, but she wasn't sure how long they were involved. And she says that she thinks that Kaya killed Chase because he married a woman named Pearl. Hmm. And so Ed and Joe are like, well, this is enough. We're going to have to at least question her. Right. So they go to the shack to talk to Kaya and obviously she eludes them. She is a with master pro at this point. Yeah, she is elusive. And these yeah. two knuckleheads <laughs> are, I mean, of course she outsmarts them. Yeah, yeah. Um, she could have outsmarted them at age six. Yep. Let's be honest. <laughs> so. But the way they conduct business, yes. Come on now. So we're back to 1965. We're seeing Kaya and Chase get closer um, their, you know, their relationship develops. And then one day, Kaya sees Tate home from college, and he's working in the marsh. And she watches him, but she doesn't approach him. Mm-hmm. And then later, Tate drives his boat to Kaya's to apologize and beg for her forgiveness. He's graduated from... Is he graduated from college at this point? He's finished his first degree, and now he's working on his doctorate. So. Right. Yeah, because he plans to finish his PhD in the marsh, and they've, like, set up a new scientist research lab. They're in the marsh in their town, so he plans to get a job there and finish doing all of his research and stuff. So, yeah, he's like, I was a fool. He just kind of realized, you know... And he sowed some wild oats while at college, but, like, honestly, Mm -hmm. he never found anyone that shared his interests Mm -hmm. the way that Kaya did. Never found anyone like Kaya, no one that he had feelings for like he had had for Kaya. Mm -hmm. And I, I forgot to mention before, but, like, when he decided not to come back... He has thoughts like she couldn't fit in with people at my college. She wouldn't want to fit in. Mm -hmm. And like he kind of uses those excuses to shy away from her. And again, like they just pissed me off. So then, of course, once college is done and he's just like, yeah, I didn't want any of that that I thought I wanted. Mm -hmm. I just want her. Mm -hmm. And he realizes it's a big mistake. So he wants her forgiveness. Um, So he's heading to her house, but he sees her and Chase kissing from a distance in Chase's boat. So he stops what he's doing, just turns back and is like, nuts. Yeah. I messed up. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's a little shocked to see her with Chase, Andrews of all people. I think he is, yeah. But, Um, yeah. I don't know. I I was sad about Tate, Mm -hmm. but I did understand his his reasoning because I do yes I understood the sentiment of he's going away to college mm-hmm. and this is an opportunity and I mean that that's what happens right your right. your high school sweetheart doesn't say your high school sweetheart when you go to college yeah you know I mean it's just but he what could happens? have told her that and said, I'm yes. going to college. I won't be back right. for a few years. I, yeah. I'm a, f- I don't, he could have been honest with he, her, even he if it would have hurt. Like, I think him abandoning her yeah, obviously it was hurt 
Yeah. So much more. And it, it was. It, he, I mean, and he admits he knows to himself that he was a, a coward. coward. Yeah. But I just, oof. I know. Oof. It, but no, I get his reason. And it's hard to forget. It, it's easy to forget that he is also a young kid with his own issues and mm-hmm. insecurities. And, yeah. you know, he's going to mess up. But it's like yeah. he was just so kind and wonderful and understanding and knew her so well it just felt like such a huge betrayal but it it is easy to forget that he's a he's a kid too so yeah yeah, of course he messed up yeah and got a little selfish right yeah he realized a little too late at this point you know yeah yeah kaya's with chase now kaya's with chase now and uh you know the longer they're together she starts thinking about what it might be like to marry Chase. Yeah, but she doesn't mention she doesn't it ever, to him. She doesn't ever say anything to him about Mm-mm. marriage. No. I think she just notices how other adult yeah. couples yeah. behave and knows that that's kind of like the natural progression of things. Right. If you're together. Yes. You get, you know, the next step eventually is, is to solidify the togetherness and get married. Yeah, and she kind of assumes that they are in an exclusive relationship. Obviously, she doesn't spend any time in town. She doesn't talk to people in town. So Mm -hmm. anything going on in town, she has no idea about. Right. But, But yeah, she never mentions marriage to him. No. It's just thoughts that she She thinks about it, but she's not mentioning it Mm -hmm. to him. But he is... The, the pressure for her to have sex with him is mounting. Right. As Even though he said, we won't do anything unless you want to. Right. But then he starts to do that thing where it's like, I've been patient with you, haven't I? I've, mm-hmm. you know, done this and I've done this. It's like. It's, yeah. Like, it's time, Kaya. It's yeah. time. Mm. But, it, no. It doesn't Is it to time? Be. Did she tell you it's time? Then yeah. it ain't time. Yeah. Because, and the thing of, the thing of it is, we know that he's not just dating Kaya. Right. He's got girls in town. Right. That he is undoubtedly sleeping with. Right. Right. Which, when he was kind to her, I was always, like, apprehensive. But when he... I mean, understandably, he would say these things that, if especially if you were Kaya. But even as a reader, you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe he's not as bad as I thought he was. Maybe mm-hmm. he means it. Mm-hmm. But then the more we... The relationship progresses, then you're like, nope. Yep. I was right. He is a dirtbag. Yeah. And there's always that element of you already know from the very beginning that he's dead. Right. And, and that he's a serial dater, yeah, womanizer, so you, whatever. You already have that in your mind. And yeah. So you're just like, we're, the insinuation here is that Kaya has a hand in this death. Yeah. So let's walk that back to maybe what could have caused that if she is right. involved in right. his death. Right. Which kind of gives you the assumption that all of the niceties are just a pretense. Exactly. Exactly. So. And time moves on in a little bit. It's 1966 and yeah, Chase is talking to Kaya about marriage and kind of uh, different pressures and stuff and he invites her on an overnight trip to Asheville. And she, I mean, she's uncomfortable with the invitation I believe you can tell like she because yeah. she knows that that means that they'll be sleeping in the same bed and that there are intentions. Yeah, she knows that she knows. 
yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. And she eventually, she does eventually agree to go because mm-hmm. he had, he had, before this, he had start, he had talked about when they're married. Mm-hmm. He talked about like building her a house. Mm-hmm. So she's. He like, says all the right things. He says these quote things. unquote right things. Yeah, the right things. And so she's like, "This is just what is expected. This mm-hmm. is what I have to do," mm-hmm. which is very sad. Mm-hmm. And then it's even worse. Yeah, because they, another one of those uncomfortable moments. And. But not it, too uncomfortable, but it is uncomfortable. It's, it's not, it's just, it's sad. Yes, it's very sad. Like, he takes her to the, and he's rich. Chase yeah. Andrews is from a rich family. Mm-hmm. The man has money. Yeah. And he takes her to an ugly, cheap hotel room, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like he has any care about her at all. No romance in there's, mind. Yeah, there's no romantics happening he doesn't take her out to dinner he doesn't do anything he just takes her to this hotel and they have sex and it's obviously it's painful Mm because it's the first time she's ever done it Mm -hmm. so she has to go through the pain of it he's not taking any care to try and make it easier for her Mm -mm. he is obviously not caring if she's getting any sort of satisfaction from the act. Mm-mm. He just gets his and goes to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a little bitch boy. <laughs> nah, dude. Yeah, I hated I hated this scene. Everything about it was painful mm-hmm. to read. Yeah. But it it tracks though, obviously. And she talks about it in a way she says that it was a taking, not a sharing or a giving. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, one, what a perfect way to describe it. But two, what a <sighs> devastating truth. But yeah. that that right there is the true version of Chase Andrews. Yeah. He is not a giver, but a taker and a manipulator. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, after this... He doesn't ever talk to her about marriage mm-hmm. or this house he was yeah. going to build her. Or if he does bring it up, then it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Or, you know, well, uh, you know, excuses mm-hmm. or delays or uh, you don't really want to meet my family, even though yeah. it's like, well, you said that we're supposed to get married. So, like, don't you want me to meet your family? family yeah you know because she wants him to take her to like the christmas parties and this right. and that and he's right. just like nah you don't want to go to that right it's interesting because before with tate his company was true and genuine and i don't think she felt she needed more yeah. emotional connection beyond him mm-hmm. and i don't mean that in a you know uh, dysfunctional way like he was the only thing she needed it was just it was a satisfying relationship where I I feel like with Chase she's not truly getting care and affection so it's sort of like well maybe if I'm part of his she never says this but it's just this is a thought that's occurring to me now it's like maybe if I'm part of his family then I'll belong then I'll get Mm -hmm. you know more of a loving satisfying connection yeah yeah because she does not have that no yeah I don't she doesn't she doesn't love Chase and yeah. I think she knows that she doesn't love Chase. Yeah. But but yeah, so I think with Tate there was genuine connection and there was no need to feel like 
anything was lacking, whereas mm-hmm. obviously something is lacking with Chase, and so she's trying to solidify or deepen some sort of connection yeah. because it's just not there. It's just not there. Yeah. So Chase isn't going to take her to these Christmas parties. No. Excuses galore excuses, why she excuses. doesn't want to go. They're boring. Yeah, they're, yeah. He just has to get through it. Yeah. So he's gone for like a whole week. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come to see her, but Tate comes to see her. Mm-hmm. And of course, at first, she's she's pissed, right? Mm-hmm. And she throws rocks at him, which I did think was kind of funny. Yeah. And uh, so she's mad, she's mad, but he tells her... I envision him, like, yelling this to her while getting pelted right. with the rocks. Right, Like, just yells to her yeah. that Chase is not a good guy. Yeah. Like, he's dating other girls in town. Right. He's not a good guy. Right. It's sort of like, I was going to leave you alone, but I, I, I know the truth yeah. and I can't not tell you. I can't let this go on. And I think it even, I don't think he says this to Kaya, but I think there is, like, a little snip of him from his perspective in town at mm-hmm. a Christmas party, and he hears Chase yes. telling his friends yes. about being with Kaya. Yeah, that he, like, landed that the he, marsh Yeah, girl. he got her. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. What a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, that's insulting to oh, dogs. it is insulting to dogs. What a pile of hot, wet, steaming garbage yeah <laughs> gross that's just so gross he's a pile of he is vomit he's just the worst <laughs> <laughs> so kaya at this point she like relents she's like all right i'm not gonna throw rocks at you anymore yeah we can we can chat yeah and they go inside the shack and he sees how much progression has happened in her collection and how, like, they're all labeled and all of her paintings and all of this stuff. And he's, like, so impressed. And he tells her that she should publish her paintings. Mm-hmm. And she lets him take a few of her pieces to show a publisher. Yeah, because she'll have, like, a description along with the painting mm-hmm. or artifact or whatever. So yeah. she kind of gives him some samples or allows him to take some samples right. to share with the publisher. Right. So that happens. And then... So it, Eventually, Chase shows back up around New Year's. Yeah. Does she even talk to him, or she just... Yeah. I mean, I think they're, like, status quo still. Yeah. She just kind of doesn't do anything with the information from Tate. Right. Right. Yeah. They just go back. They're just doing their as-usual Right, but shit. it's in the back of her mind. Yeah, yeah. So... And then uh, it's 1969. Flash forward. Um, we are at the local bar, and Ed and Joe are talking to a shrimper named Hal Miller. Um, he's telling them how he saw the quote-unquote marsh girl in her boat around 1.45 a.m. on the night that Chase was killed, and that she was going in the direction of the fire tower. And uh, Ed and Joe get a warrant to search Kaya's shack after that. It's like, oh, now we're actually getting quote-unquote evidence to sus- support yeah. our yeah. Wild claims we've been making up in our heads. <laughs> yep, yep. And then uh, we flash back, but the as you can tell, the distances are getting shorter, shorter and shorter. And shorter. So now it's 1967, and we're uh, with Chase and Kaya. Their relationship is, you know, continuing. Continuing. As uh, Maddie said, you know, same, same as usual. 
And then uh, one day she is in town probably to get supplies and she runs into Chase and his friends in town. He has his arm around a girl. I think it's the girl that Kaya calls Always Always Wears wears Pearls. Pearls. And uh, he removes his arm from Always Wears Pearl's shoulder, and he makes some introductions between Kaya and his friends. Um, But then he continues on and leaves with his friends. Yep. Uh, Kaya goes into the store, spends... She's saved up some money Mm -hmm. um, over time, you know, so that she can do this. But she spends her money on ingredients to make Chase a birthday dinner. She also, um, you know... It's just do another shopping, but she picks up a newspaper and when she gets home, she opens the paper and sees that there's an engagement announcement for Chase and Pearl. So, of course, everything that Tate told her and then some is true. You know, not only is Chase with someone else, he's engaged, Mm -hmm. which obviously means he's not planning on marrying Kaya. Right. So, of course, she cries and hides when she hears his boat. Yep. Now that relationship is over. It's over. And so we flash forward to 1968 and Kaya goes to her mailbox and in it is her book on shelves. So after Tate had submitted samples of her work, Kaya actually signed a contract for multiple books based on her collections and on the marsh. And she receives a $5,000 advance uh, that she used to make improvements on her shack. Yeah, she gets, like, running water, mm-hmm. and she still, over time, she'll continue to upgrade the shack and stuff, mm-hmm. but she still keeps certain things, like the wood-burning yeah. stove and she, just certain things. Yeah. But, yeah, she gets running water. Eventually, she'll get electricity mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I like that there are parts of the shack that she leaves yeah. alone. She like adds on but doesn't completely like decimate it and make something new. She kind of blends the best parts of the shack yeah. with with new things and right. I, I really like that. I, I agree. And at this point Jumpin tells Kaya that there are developers in the area draining the swamp to build hotels. Mm-hmm. So she ends up going to the courthouse to see if there is a deed for her land. And turns out her grandfather had had the property surveyed and um, that he actually owned it. And after she pays back taxes of about $800, she gets the deed in her name and has 310 acres of lagoons, marsh, oak forest, and a long private beach. Ain't turning that into a hotel. No, sir. Not today. Mm Mm-hmm. So Tate comes back to the shack and Kaya gives him a copy of her book and has inscribed it to the feather boy thank you from the marsh girl and they talk about restarting their friendship but kaya is just not ready to forgive or trust him yeah so which is sad and i i think we should point out that also tate had bought a copy of her book already yes he had bought a copy already but so he really appreciated the copy she gave him yeah and it is sad that she doesn't trust him but at the same time you can understand it because She fully gave him, I think, all the trust she had left after being abandoned. And yeah. then when he did the same thing, you know, it yeah. it takes more than 
a little bit of interest to get mm-hmm. that back. Because as we've seen, it's like Chase kind of feigned that for a while. Mm-hmm. And look what he did. So I can see why she would be apprehensive, even though we know that Tate is... Genuine. Genuine. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think that what Chase did even added more apprehension yeah. to her hesitation just from what Tate did. It's like, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be a long road for for that to come back, but you can tell that there's still love and care there yeah. between the two of them. I agree, I agree. And then uh, let's see, we jump forward to 1969 again. We've got Ed and Joe doing their investigation, and they are told by Jumpin and Tate that Kaya was actually in Greenville in the night of Chase's murder. So she's got herself an alibi. Mm-hmm. Not that that's good enough for them. Um, but a few other townspeople also confirmed this, telling Ed and Joe that they saw her get on the 2.30 p.m. bus to Greenville on October 28th and then get off the bus in Barkley Cove at 1.16 p.m. on October 30th. Um, they checked the bus schedule and they see that there was a middle-of-the-night bus that she could have come back on without being seen. Um, so this is kind of what they theorize this is where they build their theory yeah of their case against her which it's sort of it's just nuts to me because they keep getting information to the contrary but they keep digging because they are just so absolutely certain yeah it's got to be her yeah they've got the tunnel vision going right because as we said before i don't think they tried to investigate anybody else no no they had their eyes set on her no matter what they did they had heard to the contrary. Yeah. Okay. So moving back to 1968, a man in a military uniform shows up at the shack and Kaya notices a scar on his face and realizes that it is her brother, Jody. Jody tells Kaya that he served two years in Vietnam and will continue to be in the army to pay for his college to become an engineer. He obviously tells Kaya that he feels guilty for abandoning her and asks her to forgive him. And he also tells her that their mom died two years earlier of leukemia. So obviously she's devastated. She's going back through all the emotions of why her mom left and never came back. And um, Jody's able to tell her that the letter that Pa had burned from Ma was actually her writing to ask to come back for the kids. Right. Because we learn that Pa had, I don't know if he had just beat her or did something that she had just, uh, she had a mental break. Mm Mm-hmm. And she just knew she had to get out. Like, she, I I don't think she had the mental or emotional capacity in that moment. She wasn't even thinking of the kids. She Mm -hmm. just had a mental break, knew she had to leave, Mm -hmm. and left. And then when she came to her senses, it was like, oh, my God, my kids. Yeah. Then she writes him this letter. Mm Mm-hmm. And he writes back and threatens to beat the children if she ever returned. Mm -hmm. So Ma had lived with her sister, Rosemary. Was it her sister or her aunt? I think it was her... I thought it was her sister. Okay, yeah. Lived with her sister, Rosemary, and in grief and didn't ever interact with others. Couldn't get over, like, what happened. Yeah, she was heartbroken over the loss of her children. And I would say back then, it's not like she could have easily gotten a lawyer and fought Mm -hmm. for her kids. Yeah, right. It was just sort of like, he's not going to let me have them, and Mm -hmm. he's threatening to harm them. And I think she just felt like, what could I do? And so she just kind of sunk deeper into her mental dissociation, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. Jody does show Kaya that he has a large box of paintings that Ma had done of the children, including one of Tate and Kaya when they were very young. Jody actually encourages Kaya to get back together with Tate and after a, and then Jody stays for a couple of days with yeah. her at the shack and when he leaves he gives her his address and phone number. Yeah. So, I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Like a sweet scene between them and she yeah. gets she has like a tangible link to someone else. Right. Which she's never really had before. Right. Did he come back because he saw her book? He did see her book, but I think he says that he he didn't actually know if that was really her yeah. that wrote the book. But he went back to the shack on a whim, not fully believing she would actually still be there. Right, right. Because he didn't he he also, even being older, doesn't really remember or know how to get a hold of their other siblings. Yeah. Which I will mention, she publishes her books under her actual name. So Mm -hmm. she, after she learns to read, she finds this like old Bible that has like the family tree in it. And so then she's like reading her siblings names and realizes like Murph is actually short for, I can't even remember now. Yeah. But like, you know, her siblings names, her mom's name, her dad's name, and then her name, which is Catherine Danielle Clark. Mm -hmm. And that's the name that she publishes publishes her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I forget how she gets her nickname Kaya. It's just something that either she came up with or, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that when she was super, super little itty bitty. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm glad that Jody comes, comes back and, you know, and. I think he even says, you know, I know I shouldn't have left, but it, it was just yeah, all I could do at the time. Yeah. I and thought you'd be okay. I thought dad would, you know, yeah, go easy on you or at least take care of you. They're the littlest one, you know, yeah. was something he just probably assumed that dad would mostly do right by her. But he yeah. also just felt like yeah, if he stayed, he, I don't know. Right. I would assume that he thought if he stayed, he would die. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, which is probably, I am assuming that's what Ma thought, that's what the three other siblings thought. Mm -hmm. And he was only 13 Mm -hmm. when he left. Yeah. But the others, it it never says their ages or how much older than Kaya they were. Yeah. That was one of the other thoughts that I had. Why didn't one, at least one of the other siblings, like, take her with them? Right. You know, I mean, especially she's six. Jody is the next closest to her, and he's seven years older than her, so he's 13. Yeah. It's hard to know. Like, the oldest is Mandy, I think. And so she had, there are two between her and Jody, so she had to have been at least three years older than Jody, at least. Yeah. Probably more than that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's, a different time for one, you know, yeah. so maybe they just didn't think that they could support themselves out of survival and also a younger sibling. Yeah. You of, know, of, I, yeah. I think it was a lot of fight or flight and they were all, yeah. you know, survive or, you know, yeah. stay. And so they, they just chose to save themselves rather than yeah. think of anyone else, which in those extreme conditions you, you can yeah. understand. It's hard to... It's hard to say what you would do in any given situation. Right. But I wonder that it's like you guys, one of you couldn't come on. I know. It um, would be like me leaving and not like taking sis. Yeah. She's five. She's only five years younger than me. But if I was like fifteen and she was ten, yeah, 
I, there's no way I could leave her. Yeah, but not everyone is a Katniss who lives to support and supply for their younger siblings. Some people that's are just true. focused on their survival. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's fair. what they all kind of decided they had to do. Yeah. At least the mom, like she, I, I, like I said, it does say that she kind of had like a mental break, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a little bit in defense of her, but yeah. It, yeah, it all, it all just sucks. And then, yeah, and then she doesn't even get the opportunity to reconnect with her mom because it's too late now. Yeah. Super sad. Mm-hmm. It is. Then we're jumping back to 1969. Ed and Joe are now searching Kaya's shack. They find a red wool cap that seems to match the fibers found on Chase's jacket. So, mm. lucky break for them. Yeah. <laughs> And then now we're really narrowing the back and forth. So now it's early 1969 rather than near the end of 1969. Mm -hmm. Because Chase died, what, October, what did I say, 28th, 29th, 30th, something to that effect. So now we're in early 1969. A few months after Jody's visit, Tate leaves his grandfather's compass on the feather stump for Kaya. But she's still not ready to trust him yet. But yeah. he's still trying. He's still trying. He's still trying. Then we go back forward, 1969, later 1969, and we've got the lab reports back on the red cap, and it says that the mat- the fibers match. So the fibers on the red cap in her house match the red fibers found on Chase's body. Yeah. So. Which nowadays... Uh, fiber analysis is considered junk science. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't know that. Yeah. There's no, like, DNA markers. Yeah. So, I mean, this, these red fibers from this little, like, knitted coaster could yeah. be the same as, like, the red fibers on a t-shirt or, like, gotcha. a sweater. Right. Well, and arguments like, this could get on my shirt and weave itself in and stay there for... Yeah, there's there's yeah. no way to like definitively say that the red fibers from this coaster match the red fibers over here. Right. Over the red fibers from that sweater. Like Right. Or or even it's like those same that same red fiber slash fabric could have made a hat, a sweater, right. or this or that or the you know, it, there's yeah. no no way to prove that it was yeah. That specific hat. It's just the same exact type of fiber. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I tell you what you're saying. Yeah. Fibers not admissible in court. You cannot use it. It is a full junk science now. Further proof that they're just shoving this theory to suit (laughs) all or suiting all the facts to fit this theory. Yep. So. But so they get the, the match and then. Much to their delight, uh, a fisherman named Rodney Horn comes to the station and tells them about a, comf- a confrontation that he witnessed between Kaya and Chase at Cypress Cove. So now, after hearing Rodney Horn's testimony, this is confirmation that there is a motive for mm-hmm. Kaya to have killed Chase. Mm-hmm. They don't tell us yet what happened, what he witnessed, but his eyewitness testimony gives them enough to go, okay, we're going to bring her in. Yep. Yeah, so just before Christmas 1969, Kaya is on her way to Jumpin's, and as she's, like, approaching the wharf, she notices, like, he's looking at her, and she notices, like, his demeanor is different, his posture is different, Mm -hmm. 
and he's essentially trying to warn her. Yeah, he's not greeting her in a kind way like he normally does. He's kind of, like, real stiff and, like, almost, like, shanking his head, like, "Mm, don't come here. Mm -mm." Yeah, so she gets the hint, and she turns the boat around. But really, at this point, she's already surrounded. Yeah. The authorities are there, and they basically arrest her for the murder. Yep. And then it's 1970, and her trial begins with the jury selection, and she has an attorney named Tom Milton. Yes. Tom Milton was a retired attorney, Mm -hmm. and after hearing about Kaya being arrested, he volunteers Mm -hmm. to be her lawyer. Yeah. He is doing this work pro bono. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we jump back a little bit um, into August 1969. So before the murder, uh, we then get to learn what this man witnessed. This isn't testimony in the case. This is we've jumped back in time. We're in the scene. And we're in the scene. So Chase sneaks up on Kaya in Cypress Cove. He calls her my marsh girl. So he still has... Not let go. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she completely dumped him, yeah. turned him away. You and know. it's been more than a year Yeah, at this yeah. point. Which, he takes no responsibility in the fact that he was engaged to somebody else. And is now, at this point, married. Yeah, at this point, is married, yeah. And it doesn't matter. She spurned his affections, and uh, she's his, in mm-hmm. his mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he actually attacks her. He hits her, he's, like, punching her, he's trying to assault her. But she manages to kick him in the groin and fight her way away from him. And she finally, she gets away from him, she escapes to her boat, and uh, she sees a fisherman watching Mm -hmm. in the distance. Yeah. The scene is a little more detailed and a little more graphic with the attack itself, but... Not Love. too, too much. Again, yeah. it's it's an uncomfortable scene, but it doesn't go too far. This is an, another one of those uncomfortable, yeah. but not yeah. grotesquely described. Yeah, because he doesn't actually succeed right. in what he's trying to do. Right. But so. I do feel like you you still feel the, the panic and urgency of the situation. Yeah, it was pure panic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable for sure. At this point, we know that Chase isn't just a dirtbag. No. He's not just a Lothario out here manipulating people to have sex with him. He's legitimately a predator. Right. I mean, the fact that after all this time, he still sees her as his. Yeah, that's that's abuser mentality right there. Mm -hmm. Like, fully, fully Mm -hmm. abuser mentality, so... So then we skip ahead to 1970, and we get the witnesses' account of this situation. So mm-hmm. Rodney Horn is now telling on the stand what he saw and he testifies that he heard Kaya yelling and thought that she might be in trouble. Did he go help her? He, uh, no. Yeah, he was like trying to get closer. Right. And then he sees her like running on the beach, like, right. put it, pulling her clothes back on. Right. Yeah, pulling her clothes back to normal position, and he hears her yell, Leave me alone, you bastard. You bother me again, I'll kill you. Yeah. But again, like I said, I don't feel like there was any urgency on his part to be like, Oh gosh, what's going on? Somebody needs my help. It's just like, Oh, what's happening? Let me get closer. Yeah. These people. I know. I'm sorry, I will rein in my (laughs) 
Bring it in, Winnie. Bring it in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, like, after the attack, Kaya's eye is swollen shut. Her eye is blacked. And her lip is split open. She has bruises and scrapes on her and on her knees. And so she goes to her reading cabin, afraid that Chase is going to come to her house looking for her. And she also doesn't want anyone to know what happened because she thinks that they will blame her. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody already thinks she's a piece of trash and was calling her a slut even before she ever was intimate with anyone. So, of course, she would think that they would think the worst of her. Yeah. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's it's really sad. Um, But so from that moment we go back to early 1970 Kaya's in her cell and she begins scratching herself and pulling out strands of hair I thought it was kind of interesting that you noted that which does say that in the book but it seems almost as if she's kind of doing the only thing that like brings her comfort like Mm -hmm. researching her surroundings it's like she's looking at her strands of hair as if she would like inspect a feather almost the yeah in my mind you know yeah and it does note that this is something that the gulls do yes like pull their feathers out right right so it's like kind of a connection to nature that Mm -hmm. you know so i thought that was was very interesting yeah so we're back in 1969 and kaya gets a letter from her editor inviting her to meet him in greenville yeah this is Pre-October, pre-death of Chase Andrews. So she doesn't fully decide what she's going to do yet. Um, She's out in her boat. She runs into Tate. He's doing research. And he invites her onto his boat to look through his microscope to see the amoeba. Because she's never really seen anything through a microscope. So this is, like, really interesting. And seen, like, deeper into his research that he's doing and stuff. So she's really impressed by the boat and by the microscope, particularly. They have coffee, and he obviously notices her bruised eye. He guesses that it's Chase. Mm -hmm. And then as Kaya is, like, leaving to go back home, Mm -hmm. he throws her a red wool cap. Mm -hmm. They kind of have, like, a back-and-forth moment, but then eventually she ends up keeping this red wool cap that belongs to Tate. Yeah, and as she is getting closer to her house she sees Chase's boat entering her channel. Mm -hmm. And so she hides, obviously. And she, at this point, realizes that he's going to keep coming for her. Yeah, And she, this is also when she has the realization of, like, what her mom went through with her dad. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now it's uh, 1970, again. Kai is meeting with her attorney, and he's telling her that she could take a plea deal and if she were to plead guilty, she might get 10 years and only serve six if she gets good behavior, you know. But she refuses. There is a point earlier on, like, when they're choosing the jury and stuff, and, like, her lawyer's trying to say, like, hey, this town should not be her jury. These people have judged her her whole life. Mm-hmm. They are not going to be impartial. And the judge is just like, no, no, yeah. we're, do- we're doing the doing it here. trial normal. These people will be her, her, her jury. So, but, so that's why I believe her, her lawyer's trying to kind of get, yeah, get the idea of a plea deal in her head. Cause he's, although he, I mean, this man fights for her, but he, does. I, he I think at this moment feels that she could, yeah, no matter how hard he fights or what the truth is, he feels that with 
these people as her jury, you know, she, she could lose. So the reality would be, you know, the best, if she were to lose, like it would be better for her to make a plea deal and she would only get 10 years rather than, I think the death penalty is on on the the table. table. So, you know, he's like 10 years, you could serve six, but she refuses. She's like, no, I'm not. Not, I'm not going to jail for this yeah. guy's murder. I'm not pleading to anything. Yeah. And I think so. at one point she says she's more afraid mm-hmm. of being locked up in jail forever yeah. than death. Yep. Yeah. Which makes sense. Especially for just, yeah, the way she's lived her life. Yeah. You yeah. Know, she's complete. never been contained. No. Um, and then she kind of bonds with the courtroom cat whose name is Sunday Justice, which is adorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes into her cell and he sleeps with her, and, and he's a real comfort to her. Yeah. Um, Tate comes to visit her several times, but she refuses to see him up until the morning after she meets the cat. And then he, she finally relents and, like, lets him come back and see her. And he tells her that he's been feeding her gulls. We didn't really mention it, but she, like, has a big connection with her gulls. There's mm-hmm. one in particular she calls Big Red, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's really sweet like how she cares for them and stuff but he tells her that he's been feeding the gulls at the beach and she tells him to just forget about her she just one she i don't think she's like fully forgiven him but also she's just like stop wasting your time on me like Mm -hmm. i don't know if she feels like she's doomed but she just she's just trying to push anyone away at this point like this is probably one of her lowest points and she's had some pretty dang low points but yeah at this moment she's just like i don't want anyone just just go yeah um but he tells her that he will never forget about her and that he will be sitting behind her in the courtroom yep and we are still in 1970 jumpin mabel and tate all sit behind her in court at this point the coroner is testifying and tom is cross-examining dr cone and admits that there is no evidence that Chase was actually pushed and that the fibers could have gotten on Chase's jacket at any time in the years that Kaya and Chase were involved and that there is no evidence of Kaya being present at the fire tower when Chase died. Of course, before this, the other the prosecution is like putting words in his mouth and like yeah. so isn't it possible isn't it possible isn't it possible yeah. but Kai's lawyer's good at his job and he basically gets the doctor to admit like yeah could have but there's no evidence yeah there's of no that yeah he made it like there's no marks on the front of Chase's body from right. a push or right. a kick or a shove right. or anything like that right evidence so. shows he fell yeah and yeah the fiber evidence like Maddie was saying like is not anything <laughs> That is really proving anything. Yeah, exactly. So we're back in 1969, shortly before Kaya, because we hear earlier her alibi that she's in Greenville. So this is like shortly before she goes to Greenville. So obviously she does decide to meet with her publisher, but she goes to Jumpin's Wharf to get the bus schedule. Um, she tells him about her trip to Greenville to, to meet with her publisher. Uh, Jumpin sees the fading bruises on her face. And he asks if Chase beat her. Of course, Kaya, you know, she admits it to him, but she begs him not to tell anyone because she knows that people will blame her. They would make the assumption that she, she was did it. Ball. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jumpin agrees. Uh, agrees. He under- that, yeah, yeah, he understands. Okay, so back to the trial. Sheriff Ed is on the stand, and Tom basically points out they're talking about like there being no evidence. And. Tom points out that if Chase arrived at low tide, the rising tide overnight would have washed away any footprints. 
And Tom also shows that the months before Chase's death, the sheriff had actually sent a letter to the U.S. Forest Service about how dangerous the fire tower was and to uh, permanently seal the gates so no one could climb up there. So, uh, you know, Tom is establishing reasonable doubt, which is what you're supposed to do as the defense attorney. Right. Um, He's doing his job and and putting a big shining light on all their BS. Yeah, which I did have a little bit of a myth with the way that the questioning went in the trial. It was all leading questioning. All yeah, leading was, the witness. All, all... It was so crazy. There was so much like, as an attorney you cannot just make statements. You no! Have, everything has to be a question. The only time you can ever just make statements is your opening and closing statement. Right. Everything else, you're questioning your witness and you can't you can't be leading them to anything. You can't be doing like your question has to be a question. Yeah, and it can't be. Wouldn't it be possible for yeah. her to have driven her boat? And well, anything's possible, Jack. But ugh. yeah, and I think you know those types of questions. Obviously, the prosecution is going to ask, but there were multiple times when the prosecutor literally is just making statements. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, this would not happen in a real court of law. No, that that part really, yeah, I was like, it's just, it, yeah. Yeah, it was, that that part was rough. Yeah. That part was rough. I was just like, what judge is going to sit here <laughs> and allow this to happen? But and I guess this can ju- you could you could say that the judge is being biased and allowing this bull crap to... Um, to go, but I, I, I really so. feel like this is just maybe a misunderstanding of how a courtroom works. Yeah, and that happens. That happens a lot. I think but, a, a lot of people who aren't like in that space, mm-hmm. especially if all you really know of the courtroom is mm-hmm. from Law and Order. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot in shows like that. And, you know, when you don't know, like, I worked in the court system for, like, seven years and went to law school, so I'm, like, extra critical of it. But not everyone knows that, you know, you can only ask questions as an attorney. Like, you can't just give broad statements in the middle of... Put a question at the end, you know, make it sound like a question. But also... even if you try and say, like, oh, well, she's using it as an example of the town's prejudice. Also, Tom is clearly a really good lawyer. So I feel like Tom would, would be have, objecting yeah. to all of it. Yeah. He'd be like, He would be no. objecting to leading the witness. He would be yeah. ob- objection, where's the question? Right. Like, those are real objections. Right. And what it what is it called when someone's like speculating? Like calls for speculation. Yeah. yeah. Or or just like there there's, there's like hearsay where yeah. you can't say that someone else said something. Yes, like, like certain things like that. Yes. It's just like these aren't factual things. These are just supposed whatever's. Like I said, yeah, yeah I could suppose it was possible for me to be walking down the road yeah. five minutes ago, but I wasn't. Yeah. You could suppose anything. Yeah. But there would have been so many instances where a defense attorney in Tom's position would have just been like, objection, 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 objection. But then that would have been the whole thing. So I really do think she was just trying to prove how hard the prosecutor and the sheriff were trying to pin it on her. I I really think that that was really the only motive for this like wild 
court yeah, stuff. It had to have, it had to have been. But I, I even though it was outrageously inaccurate, I I still found it compelling. So yeah, it. I mean, it just gave you it gave the defense a chance to like poke holes in all of the theory. Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, that's the purpose of serving. It's just yeah. not really super accurate. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Uh, back in 1969, now Kai is going to Greenville on the bus. Everyone in town sees her get on the bus. Um, when she returns two days later, she goes home. When she tells Jumpin that she's back the next day, he tells her about Chase's death and that Chase's wife, Pearl, is claiming the missing shell necklace proves that he was murdered. So he's trying to just give her a heads up, like, I think they're going to try and pin this on you. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So... Back to the trial, the prosecutor calls the two bus drivers as witnesses. The driver, Larry Price, testifies that on the 11.50 p.m. bus from Greenville, or Green, it's probably supposed to be Greenville, to Barkley Cove, there was a tall, thin man that could have been Kaya in disguise. The <laughs> other driver of the 2.30 a.m. bus back to Greenville testifies that there is a tall woman with curly gray hair on the bus that may have also been Kaya in a different disguise, but Tom is basically undermining that with his cross, like... Yeah. You can't you go, can't. well, don't they I, look like they could have been her? Yeah. That's a nonsense. Yeah, basically they're like... Did you see her put on a disguise? No. Okay, then you can't say that was her. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And you got a good look at both of these people's faces when they got on your bus, and there was nothing about them that made you believe it was Kaya until it was suggested to you, basically, is what right. he says. Right, right. Until you were to led to this conclusion. Exactly. That's that's basically what he By a horrible lawyer that shouldn't even be able to tell you this in the first place. Exactly. So, and at this point, Jody is at the trial and yeah. sits with Tate, Jumpin', and Mabel in the courtroom. The prosecutor calls Hal Miller, who testifies that he saw her in her boat around 145, going towards the fire tower, and that's where the prosecution rests. So the defense calls a number of witnesses, including Robert Foster, uh, her editor, and the sheriff. Basically calls the sheriff back to the stand for the timeline, basically suggesting that there would not have been enough time for Kaya to have gotten off the bus that had been running late, gotten to the fire tower, committed the murder, gotten back to make the bus in time to get back to Greenville. Right. Saying the timeline is too tight. It is not, there's not enough. Right. And the sheriff messes himself up because he says, well, she had to have done this. She could have done this. And then when the lawyer pokes holes in it, he's like, well, maybe she could have done this. He was like, no, but you laid your whole... He says, oh, she could have gone on foot. He's Mm -hmm. like, except for you've laid your whole arguments on the fact that people saw her on a boat in the water. So which is it? Yeah. You know, so it just shows how reaching they are. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yep. Tom calls his final witness, the shrimper, Tim O'Neill, who owns the boat of the other shrimper, Hal Miller. And he basically says that it would have been impossible to identify Kaya and her boat at that that night because there was no moon. She had no boat lights. And it would have been impossible for the other two who had testified to have seen her and identified her as her. Right. They try to say, well, I know her boat. I know her shape of her, you know, outline, her shadow. And and Tim O'Neill's like, you couldn't have. Yeah, that's the most common boat on the water right now. Right. And you wouldn't have been able to see Jack Squat because there was no moon. So, yeah, he didn't say this, but it's like if you were seeing 
shapes, then you're lying. You're yeah. full of baloney. You're full of it. Yep. So the, you know, Tate, Scupper, Jody, Jumpin', Mabel, Robert Foster, they all are awaiting the verdict. And Kaya's back in her cell. She's actually more worried about never seeing the marsh again than the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But thankfully, Kaya is found da, 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 not guilty. Oh. As we said, there was plenty of uh, reasonable doubt, which mm-hmm. is all the defense lawyer has to do. That's you, all you need. You can't, you don't have to be able to say they're guilty. You know, not you. it's, do you have reasonable doubt or yeah. are you absolutely sure that this person did it? Yeah, it's so. the highest uh, burden of proof. Right. So Kaya is clearly overjoyed Mm -hmm. to see her marsh and her gulls and her shack again. She runs to feed the gulls uh, immediately. Yeah. (laughs) When she returns, Jody suggests that he stay with her for a little while and asks her not to draw further away from people, but Kaya makes it pretty clear that she feels like everyone in her world, including the townspeople, have abandoned and rejected her, and the verdict hasn't changed her mind on that. You know, obviously the people in the town found her not guilty, but that doesn't change the fact that she feels completely abandoned and isolated by by them, you know, and her lawyer made a really good closing argument, like about like, basically like, you know, you've let your prejudices put this woman on trial. Yeah. Not the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really, really good. Um, but after making her a chicken pie, Jody goes ahead and leaves her alone as she desires. Um, and then the next day, Kaya plans to spend the day collecting things, but she also hopes to see Tate and invite him to dinner. But at the moment, Kaya, I think she gets in her boat to go see Tate, Mm -hmm. um, but then she sees that the sheriff and two deputies are at his residence or at his research boat, Mm -hmm. and she sees, like, him hang his head, looking defeated, and he gets on board of the boat with the sheriff and the two deputies um, and and they speed away so yeah she's not really sure what's going on right but she realizes how much she has always depended on Tate's presence in the marsh and kind of mm-hmm. realizes that she wants him back in her life yeah yeah so uh, eventually Kaya finds out that what had happened is the deputies had gone to inform Tate that his dad had passed away. And um, after the funeral, Tate finds a feather in his boat and he knows it's from Kaya. So he goes to Kaya's and they essentially declare their love for each other. And he moves into the shack and asks her to marry him. And she says that they are already married like the geese. Yeah. Which is very cute. It was cute. And that's enough for for Tate. Yeah. He's like, okay. Yeah. Great. I I accept it. Yep. So a few years pass and um, Tate tells Kaya when Jumpin' dies, which is really sad for her because he was essentially like a father figure and uh, there's a scene of her and Mabel like embracing all of that. Oh yeah, because when her book was published and she gave a copy to Jumpin', he put it in the window of mm-hmm. his shop and it I, I think the book like mentions like a proud father and yeah. I just think oh that's so sweet so sweet um let's see where are we we're just going like the years pass Kaya and Tate like live their life mm-hmm. they're happy together Jody has a family and they visit 
pretty often, so they still have, like, a relationship, and um, Tate works at the lab, and Kaya continues writing her books. They don't ever have any children, even mm. though they wished for some at one point. Yeah. And then one day when Kaya doesn't return, Tate goes looking for her, and he finds her boat, and she has had a heart attack and passed away. She was 64, which yeah. is really young. It is. And I was kind of surprised. I was just like, wait, what? I know. It was, what? It was kind of like, it was kind of shocking. Yeah, it was. I didn't expect her to, like, die. I didn't either. And Not, yeah, I, I didn't expect her to die in the book. It was, like, kind of a bum moment. Yeah. Like, for Tate, he's lost his mom, his mm-hmm. sister, his dad, and now his wife. Yeah. Because, yeah, we, we didn't mention it, but, like... Tate felt responsible for his mom and sister's death because he thinks that his mom was heading back to town to, like, get a bike that he really wanted for his Mm -hmm. birthday or something. And it's not like he was a brat about it and was like, ah, give me that bike! It's just, he he just knows his mom and and figures that that she was trying to do a sweet thing for him for his birthday, and he kind of felt responsible. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and and then he ends up finding... Kaya dead, which is really sad. And yeah, 64, so young. Yeah. But uh, so, but the night of her burial, Tate finds a a secret compartment in the floor by the fireplace. I can't remember if he's just kind of like hanging by the fireplace and kind of notices. Yeah, because he, it remarks like that Kaya had always kept the firewood stacked there. Yes. Even in the summer. Yeah. But it, it had gotten low, obviously, yeah. because he was clearly not paying attention. Right. During this grief stricken period. Right. And so he noticed, he notices this little spot and inside he finds a box with poems and realizes that Kaya is... We forgot to mention earlier, but there is this author that... Or, yeah, author. She's, yeah, like a poet. A, a poet that is Kaya's favorite, or that she kind of recites her poems a lot, and her name is Amanda Hamilton. So you kind of get these poems sprinkled throughout mm-hmm. the, the book. Yeah. And they seem to match... What she's going what through What she's going time. through and feeling. Um, so... She he finds that Kaya is actually Amanda Hamilton and that she had written under that pseudonym for years. Um, and there was a poem called The Firefly, which describes Chase Andrews' death. I think I also forgot to mention earlier that Kaya had a moment where she was watching the fireflies and noticed that there were female fireflies that would attract... She would flash her light in a way to attract one male and mate with them. And then there was... After that, then she would flash her light in a different way to attract another male. And she would kill eat. and eat, eat, eat him. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we know she was inspired by nature. So, yeah. It, it kind of goes along with that observation in a way. So he finds that. And then he also finds Chase Andrews' shell necklace. So he burns all the poems and the rawhide cord that the necklace was, or that the shell was on. And then he just puts the shell on the beach or in the water with the other shells and just lets it wash away. Let it wash away. Yeah. And then he just goes back home and watches the fireflies in the dark. Yeah. And then that's it. That's it. Yep. Did you think she had done it? Yeah, I, I, I knew she did it. They, they're, the moment with the hat, 
Yeah. I think was a little element of attempted misdirection yes. to make you think maybe Tate had done it because he had yes. seen her eye. Yes. Um, but, uh... Because I never suspected that, and the only people that could have been suspects that knew were Jumpin' and Tate, and yeah. I didn't believe for a second that Jumpin' went no. and murdered anybody. No. Um, yeah. For a second, I was like, I'm pretty sure that Kaya did it, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't be shocked if it was Tate. Right. But... Right. Um, so even though we've chastised the <laughs> police <laughs> for doing a shoddy investigation and pulling theories out their butt. They were right. She did murder him, but they still were wrong in the way that they went about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have any, clearly there was no evidence that would have like definitively linked her. But so I guess she really did disguise herself, which is almost like really funny for me to picture her like disguised. And it just seems so ridiculous. Yeah. Honestly. But yeah, I mean, listen, he deserved it. We we're not we're not feeling sorry for Chase and Andrews like, out here. Dude was the worst. Yeah. He certainly would have kept coming, coming, yeah. and eventually, like that kind of shit only escalates. Yeah, she basically I I, I guess I didn't say, but he, she basically lured him to that fire tower mm-hmm. and then and just pushed him. She kept. Well, I don't even think she pushed him. She, yeah, I think she, she opened the grate and then kind of stood in a place where he would have to come to her, and, and he fell. He just fell, yeah. I don't even know if she pushed him. I think that she just left the door open for yeah. him to fall through. Or maybe so. she just, like, tripped him. Yeah, yeah. You know, but either way. Either way. She, yeah, she lured him just like one of those female fireflies and yep. let him fall to his death. But he was a piece of poop. Yeah, it would have just escalated and gotten worse, and she knew it. Right. We don't condone murder, but this is fiction, so. Listen. We're not not sad for Chase Andrews. (laughs) I probably wouldn't be sad if this was a true story, let's be honest. (laughs) Some people suck, and they get their comeuppance, and we don't have to feel bad about it. (laughs) (laughs) We're just saying the book ended in a satisfying way for the reader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. But we we discussed it, but yeah, so like the themes and motifs of the book are obviously like child neglect and abandonment, partner, spousal, domestic manipulation and abuse, um some vigilante justice, you know, mm-hmm. definitely a topic for uh, a good discussion/debate and then yeah. just nature. nature. Yep. Yep. And there was really a lot more that we could discuss, and we've already talked for a really long time, but... Yeah. There's there's a lot to this book, really. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess let's do our final thoughts. All righty. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, you go first. Okay. Um, I really actually liked this book, which was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would say that I would give this a four out of five. Even with the difficult things, it's still something that I feel like I could go back and read more than once and still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Cause, and kind of like we discussed, like one is like you didn't finish it. I would say zero absolutely hated it. One is like you didn't even finish it. Two, you didn't like it. Three, you liked it. Four, you really liked it. Five, you loved it. So yeah. I would say I really like this book. Um, even with 
some of the dumb issues. I mm. understand that they're there to kind of either make a point or move the plot forward or whatever, or just were oversights by the author. But yeah, I I love the descriptions of nature and Kaya's respect for it. I loved her wonder for the world and her perseverance and ability to survive as seemingly unrealistic as it could have been sometimes Mm -hmm. um but and then I really liked her complicated emotions towards people Mm -hmm. you know because and I can't I can't remember the specific conversation with Jody but she's just you know I just remember her saying something about being angry or something Mm -hmm. I can't do you know what I'm talking about but it just it was I don't know. This book moved me and broke my heart in ways that I can't explain. I I found it sad, but also really lovely at times. Um, the way that loneliness is described really cut me super deeply. I definitely cried mm. several times throughout the book. I just, I don't know. And that's why it surprised me, because generally I don't like things that m- make me super upset. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> There was something cathartic about it. I, mm-hmm. I I don't know, but I just for some reason it, it wasn't enough to make me <laughs> hate it. I guess, but yeah. I just I love what Kaya ended up becoming. You know, becoming this amazing author, doing the thing that she loved, and obviously like the trial stuff was crazy with a lot of conjecture and leading the witnesses. But uh, I I found it very compelling nonetheless, and. I just really liked it, but, and just the way that it talked about loneliness Mm -hmm. and like described and depicted loneliness, like, I don't know, it just, it really moved me. There was, I don't know, like, just the way they talked about loneliness, like being vast and empty. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. it just, it, I don't know, it just struck a chord in me that I can't fully explain. Yeah. But it did. Makes sense. Yeah. I... I'm not sure if I have actually rated this on Goodreads yet, but I would probably go with three stars. Um, there was a lot that I really did like about the book. Um, I liked this. Obviously, the science and nature elements were written really well. Obviously, Delia Owens herself was a scientist. I think like a zoologist and a biologist, and she wrote a lot of nonfiction so obviously she writes it accurately and believably so I thought that was really well done um I do think generally the prose was nice Mm -hmm. um particularly um when Kaya's like just in the marsh Mm -hmm. yeah I I feel like that is really where the book is super successful Mm -hmm. I inevitably I, I didn't read any reviews before I read the book itself I don't like to read reviews of books before I read them because I want to make up my own mind and not worry that I'm being influenced. Right. So, but I did read some reviews afterwards, generally in research, and there are a lot of people that drag her for the southern vernacular she uses in the book. Mm-hmm. I have no idea about southern no, yeah. vernacular, so I can't, we can't really comment on that. Yeah. I have no idea the differences between different southern accents or vernacular or anything, so right. I have no idea. Right. There's also complaints about the layout, the towns that are mm-hmm. highlighted. Mm-hmm. I don't know the layout of North Carolina, right. so also, right. I don't know. To me, I feel like you kind of have to believe that like this is the real world, but also like a it's, fictional pocket. It's a fictional story. Of the real world. Yeah, exactly. I think the reason I would give this three and not more than that is 
the idea that a six-year-old is essentially living and managing by herself. I know that her pa didn't actually leave until she was 10, but Mm -hmm. her whole family, aside from her drunkard father, leaves when she's six. And he's, like, in and out for those four years. So she's in charge of buying shit for the house, cooking, taking care of herself, whatever. I just... You have to accept that over and over as you get through the story. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was just such a reach. Mm -hmm. And I do think I agree that the discussion of loneliness is really accurate. Mm -hmm. But I also kind of felt like we didn't get much more emotional impact of Mm -hmm. all of these people continually leaving her. Yeah. I feel like she's probably would have felt a lot more than just loneliness. Yeah. And I felt like the emotional aspect, the trauma, Mm -hmm. like the really the only glimpse of her true trauma from being completely abandoned by everyone Mm -hmm. is in her refusal to forgive Tate. Yeah. But I feel like it would manifest much more severely. Yeah. Uh, You saying that actually reminds me of like the scene where he did kind of come back in like that not July but like shortly after Mm -hmm. he did actually come back. Yeah. But he saw her from a distance and he saw her hiding from someone and like saw her almost for the first time like behaving almost in like in a feral animal sort of way. Yeah. And that's when he was like she can't fit in the real world and that's when he kind of like had that cowardice moment of like yeah, I gotta go and I can't even say anything to her. Like, I do think that her behavior like that is definitely a reflection of things that happened to her. But I do, I do agree. Or I do understand what you're saying where there, yeah, there could have been more exploration of the other impacts for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, more time, time could have been spent a little more judiciously in her emotional state as opposed to um, the coming of age, kind of. Because it does seem like in those years between, like, age 10 and age 19, a lot... We're moving at a pretty swift clip, generally. Like, she's 10, and then she's 14, and she's learning to read, and then she's getting her period, and then she's losing Tate, and then she's 19. Yeah. And... We could have spent a little more time in those years. Yes. Yeah. On her, like, emotional state. Yeah. I feel like that would have added a lot to the story, but overall, I felt like the book was good. I enjoyed reading it. You know, I would reread it. Yeah. But, you know, you know. Yeah. Hey, and that's okay. I didn't watch the film yet, but we will inevitably do another film episode. Yes. To kind of bookmark the second set of episodes we're doing. So, yep. I will watch it before we do that. Yep. I did see it. Um, I liked it. <laughs> I cried a lot <laughs> during it. And, but there was a scene, especially in the end, that I found to be kind of like a beautiful addition. But that's all I'll really say until you've seen it. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I liked the film. I think that they adapted it well. Yeah. Nice. And that's the conclusion of our coverage of this one. Our Ooh. next 
book is going to be Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oui, oui. <laughs> so please rate, review, subscribe, do the things and the stuff. Yep. Send along your book recs and let us know if you've read any of the books we've covered. What did you think of Where the Crawdads Sing and all that? Have you seen the movie? What, you know, just share your thoughts with us. Yeah. All of our tunes and artwork is a collaboration of the WRB crew. Whoop, whoop. Yep, we do it all. We edit, we photograph, we create art, we made the music, we did the whole shebang, the two of us. That's correct. Ain't nobody else on this team but us. Not a soul. <laughs> but until next time, go touch grass and read books. Okay, goodbye. Bye.